0: shortages, supply chain breakdowns continue to have a domino effect on everything, especially food production. Farmers can't plant as many crops now because of fertilizer shortages, forced regulations, and of course, high fuel prices. This will cause more painful food shortages when we run out of the food we're eating now. You know, food takes time to grow. So when farmers don't plant, well, months later, we don't eat. That's why you need to prepare for an increasing number of food shortages. And the best way is to invest in ready hour emergency food from My Patriot Supply. It's a perfect hedge against skyrocketing prices and shortages. Right now, save $50 on a four-week food kit from My Patriot Supply. Go to preparewithsoutherncents.com and get your $50 savings on a four-week emergency food kit that averages over 2,000 calories per day. That's preparewithsoutherncents.com. Those who know what's coming are getting prepared now. Well, if you don't want to type in that whole big thing saying prepare with southernsense.com, and you're on my website which is southern sense, put a dash in the middle southern-sense as in commonsense.com, you can easily click on my Patriot Supply and go directly to the website and get your $50 savings. As I'm telling you now, those who know what's coming are getting prepared right now. Shouldn't you prepare? With southern-sense.com. That's southern-sense.com. Click on My Patriot Supply. Do it now. All right, and welcome back to another adventure here on Southern Sense, live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Global Enlightenment Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, all the heck with it. We're all over the place. Just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, Southern, hyphensense.com. I'm your hostess for the least, most just the radio chickadee, Annie, along with my co-host who's going and scratching his head going, what the heck is this lady doing today? <laughs> Curtis. See no, today. Not at Good all. afternoon, Curtis.
3: <laughs> hey, as we talked about before we started the show, I've been on the road the last um, seven days, so I want to thank everybody that came out to uh, my book signings and to hear me speak and to get their hands on my new political suspense um truth versus the democrat party which is a book that is banned um, by many many online um book distributors but um just the same um it is selling like hot cakes so i want to thank everybody
0: ah well i'm glad that's happening with you if anyone deserves something good happening it is you that's for sure (laughs) i appreciate that we've got ourselves a jam up lineup here today Um, We're starting off with Brian McDonald, who has actually five nonfiction books. Uh, The latest is the new one called, um, oh, geez, Five Floors Up, The Heroic Family Story of Four Generations in FDNY. Uh, It's an absolutely riveting, I'm telling you, a very, very riveting book. Uh, Very good. And if anyone uh, has a family member that's in the, the firefighting service, Uh, This is a must-read. Even if you're in uh, law enforcement, uh, any one of these emergency services here uh, at home, it it really brings you into the family and the history, the mindset, the loyalty, the love, and the grudges. Uh, But it is a very good book. And it leads you up through 9-11 through today. Uh, And I'm telling you, I I read it almost in one sitting, almost, almost. Uh, Then we have, coming back, joining us, Kevin McGarry. He's the founder of Every Black Life Matters, and he's the chairman of the Frederick Douglass Foundation out of California, as well as executive uh, for the Douglass Leadership Institute. Uh, Then again, we have our friend Mark Tapscott, uh, who should be joining us today. I hope, fingers crossed. Uh, And then from the Heritage, we close off the show with Jason Bedrick. He is a, a research fellow at Heritage Center for Education Policy. A lot going on, a lot to talk about, a lot to do. Wow, Curtis. Yeah,
3: and it's a, you're right, it's a lot to talk about, and maybe we can um, ask some of our, our guests about this this seemingly upcoming indictment of the former president, which I'm hearing a lot about.
0: Uh, well... We'll see. We'll see. There's, there's a lot of little ghosts in that closet there, and uh, I don't know if too many people really want to have that exposed, honestly. We'll see. I hope you're right. We'll see what comes up. i uh, like. got to remember, uh, we're questioning the legality of uh, the uh, raid on his Mar-a-Lago uh, estate, his home, so uh, we're going to see. We'll see what happens here. We also have Biden doing his latest (laughs) goose. I mean, if anyone has ever been... (laughs) Well, yesterday he did another speech, a unity speech, which was anything but unifying. I mean, I wish I had recorded it, because I would have played segments back, but yesterday and today (laughs) have been so hectic, so busy, that I haven't had to do it. I caught bits and pieces of it. For a president who, in his inaugural address, stated he would unite this nation. He has done everything possible to divide it. And I've never known any any leader of this nation to be that divisive. Unless yeah, you were right. in the Ku Klux Klan, in which he used to be a member of. Oh, oh no, I wasn't supposed to say that. <laughs> or I can't <laughs> say he was a member. He was very friendly with them.
2: Yeah,
3: he... He was a sympathizer.
0: Ah, Major, major, major. So like we have, like I said, we have a lot to talk about, a lot that is going on. And there has been a win for our side. This will pop. I hope we're going to get into this later on with uh, Brian McDonald or with one of our other guests. But uh, New York City uh, police officer, because he did not get the jab, was set to be dismissed, be fired from the job. And just the day before he was supposed to be fired, he filed a lawsuit, which held him in abeyance. He kept his job. And the judge ruled in favor of the officer. He put in for a religious exemption because he's Roman Catholic. He does not believe in taking the jab because the jab is, is created from fetal cell tissues, cell tissues from aborted babies. And he said no. I'm not doing this. I am pro-life. I am not for abortion. And I will not take anything that you tell me I must, I'm mandated to take that contains the tissues of aborted babies. And he won. And he won. So there's 20 other officers that have filed similar lawsuits that are going to be coming up right behind him. And can you imagine the tidal wave of civil service employees, firefighters, emergency services, (coughs) even clerical? that will now flood the courts saying, wait a minute, a precedent has been set. Of course, you know New York City is going to challenge it. A precedent has been set. So now you're telling me that you dismissed without even reading or looking at my religious exemption. You completely threw the First Amendment right out the window and you also turned around and violated your own federal law that says if it's an experimental drug, you cannot mandate me to take it, how many millions of people across this nation will turn around and say, you forced me to take the jab? Now I'm suing you for damages. You made me lose my job and my income. Now I'm suing you for my job back and damages for loss of income and for hardships, <coughs> worth. Can you imagine the floodgates that are gonna be opened on this? Hello Part mandates. I am doing F you. F-U. Here we go. <laughs> F <F-U. laughs> Mandates Up yours. I mean, Up yours. Military. Uh you you go of course the whole gamut. Hospital workers, other health care workers forced to take the jab. And I'm battling with a cat right now. She's trying to take over the desk and chair. <laughs> Anyway, uh, we, like I said, it's going to be a very, very, very busy show, and I want to welcome those, and I haven't had a chance because I am running so far behind. I only woke up at 11.30 my time, which was only an hour and a half before airtime, so if I'm a little bit of an airhead right now, it's because I'm not awake yet, <laughs> so I want to say hi to You'll everyone that is in our chat rooms Um <laughs> along with uh over at Facebook yeah, Facebook, YouTube, iHeart, uh, up uh live on our show Southern Sense, Southern Dash sense dot com. We've got that going up over there. Uh so I'm trying to say hi to everyone in these rooms one by one. <laughs> oh man. All right. But uh there we go. There we go. There we go. We got we got this up. We got this we got ourselves rocking and rolling. Yeah we are right. live. Sitting live on Facebook, YouTube. Oh, and by the way, the show that got taken down a couple weeks ago that had Peter Navarro on it, YouTube put back up. They unbanned that show. They put it back up. I sent them something to the effect that they said I violated the community standards. And I said, this is an opinion show. And under the First Amendment, we are have the right to our own personal opinions. You may not agree with it. You may disagree. But it is opinion, not presented as fact. Well, we do have people that are, are, are specialists in their fields. Hey, but, and they put it back up. So Peter Navarro's segment with us is back up on YouTube. Win for this side. Yay. Now, if I can get the other channel unfrozen and get all the past episodes over the last 10 years unfrozen, that'd be another one. Oh, and thank you very much, Doug. He says, I hope you're alive, Annie, (laughs) considering the alternative. (laughs) Thank you, Doug, for that shot in the arm. (laughs) And yes, I did get your newest little audio piece. I only heard it just maybe 20 minutes before going on air, so I haven't had a chance to upload it, but it was great. It's excellent. And as soon as I can, I'll upload it and use it as part of our audio. Thank you, Doug. I really appreciate that. Oh, man. Anyway, take a deep breath, Annie. Take a deep breath, right? Mm -hmm. Well, those that know us know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. Good Lord, I'm looking at my reflection, uh, my image in the the screen, and I didn't put any lipstick on.
2: (laughs) Anyway.
0: A little bit more serious. Those that do listen to the show know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's show is dedicated to New York City firefighter, Timothy Klein. The 31-year-old was a son of also a retired firefighter in New York City. He was killed in a structural fire in Brooklyn, New York on Sunday, April 24th of this year. And this is from the New York Post by Joe Marino, Larry Salina, Haley Brown, and Jorge Fitzgibbons. And they write, A city bravest was killed in a ferocious Brooklyn house blaze Sunday afternoon, April 24, 2022, several years after he gave a moving eulogy for a fellow firefighter who also died in the line of duty. The inferno at 10826 Avenue N in Canarsie. And actually, that was near a firehouse my uncle was stationed in, my father's brother, in Canarsie. It turned deadly when flames suddenly swept through the second floor, sending smoke eaters leaping from windows and part of the structure caving in on itself, firefighter officials said. The dead, bravest, Timothy Klein, the 31-year-old son of a retired fireman, apparently became separated from his comrades and was fatally injured in the structural collapse, according to authorities and sources. Eight other firefighters were also injured, either in the collapse or from burns, officials said. Everything seemed to be going routine when suddenly the entire second floor became engulfed in flames said Acting Chief of Department John Hodgkins at a press briefing in Brookdale Hospital in Brooklyn that Sunday evening. Three other members that were with Klein were able to escape by jumping out windows and getting out ladders in other areas of the building. Our members worked feverishly, very hard under very difficult conditions to try to reach Klein, Hodgkins said. Unfortunately, They were not able to get to him in time, and he succumbed to his injuries. Timothy lost his life doing his job that was asked him every day. Mayor Eric Adams added, It gives us great pain and sorrow to announce that New York City has lost one of its bravest, Timothy Klein. Six and a half years as a firefighter, 31 years old, coming from a rich tradition of dad and other relatives who are firefighters. New York has lost one of its bravest. Hundreds of cops and firefighters lined up outside the medical examiner's office that Sunday night to salute Klein as his body arrived. Klein, who's assigned to Ladder Company 170, had given the eulogy for a fellow firefighter, Stephen Pollard, in 2019. After Pollard was killed at the scene of a car crash, on the Belt Parkway, when he fell through a gap on a roadway. Stephen Pollard died, not thinking of himself, but trying to help others, Klein said, at the time of his fallen brother, who had worked out of the same firehouse. We lost a true hero that night. It breaks my heart to know that the days working alongside you are over. You will never be forgotten. On Sunday, it was Klein a six-year department veteran who was rushed to Brookdale University Hospital Medical Center where he was pronounced dead, sources and officials said. Klein grew up in Breezy Point, Queens and lived in Rockaway, sources said. He is survived by his father, retired FDNY firefighter Patrick Klein, his mother Diane, and his three sisters, according to officials. An FDNY rep said, Firefighters were dispatched to the two-story home at 1.39 p.m. with one, more than 100 bravest working the scene as a blaze was quickly elevated to a third alarm shortly after 2 p.m., 21 minutes later. Klein was assigned to the nozzle team that was extinguishing the flames when the unimaginable happened, officials said. The incident commander identified deteriorating conditions and ordered all members out of the building, said Acting Fire Commissioner Laura Kavanaugh at the press briefing. As they were doing so, there was a partial collapse of the ceiling. Four members were caught in that collapse. Three got out and are in stable condition at local hospitals. Neighborhood residents, Clara McKinley, 24, said the blaze was the scariest thing I have ever seen. The flames were massive, and there was so much smoke, she said. Everyone was running back inside their houses to get away from it. It was just burning and burning. You felt like the wind was going to blow out the flames blow the flames from house to house. Neo McCallum, nineteen, who lives a block away, said his grandfather initially thought a neighbor was barbecuing in the area. The flames were so high, like 10 feet high, and the smoke was at least 150 feet in the air, he said. While later, they started rushing stretches, Malcolm said. I definitely saw one with a firefighter lying on it, and there were 12 guys running along with it, but I couldn't tell if he was the one who died. Adams said the five hurt firefighters suffered from non-life-threatening injuries. A resident at the address was still unaccounted for as of this writing. A civilian was injured and was treated at the scene and refused further medical attention, the FDNY said. The injured firefighters were taken to Staten Island University Hospital after suffering burns. Andrew Ansbro, president of the FDNY Firefighters Association, said in a statement, There are no words that aptly describe the loss of a fellow firefighter in your company and this department. And the Klein family is now living with the worst nightmare of every person who has ever sworn the sacred oath to the FDNY. FDNY Lieutenant James McCarthy, president of the Firefighters Association, added that Klein's sacrifice embodies the ultimate heroism laying down his life. others. Klein graduated from Archbishop Molly High School in Queens before attending New York College of Pennsylvania where he received a bachelor's degree in sports management and athletic administration in 2012 according to his LinkedIn profile. Before joining FDNY in December of 2015, Klein spent over two years working as an administrative assistant at the US Athletic Training Center a physical therapy and athletic training company based in Midtown Manhattan. He also has a second degree as a member in the Knights of Columbus. Klein is the 1,157th member of the FDNY to die in the line of duty, fire officials said. The last city firefighter to die in the line of duty was 33-year-old Jesse, Jesse Gay Hard in February. Today's show is dedicated to Fire firefighter Timothy Klein. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women out there that serve as our first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. We also dedicate this show to the brave men and women that serve in our military, from the birth of this wonderful nation through today and into our hopeful future, we dedicate to each and every one this song by my friend Todd Allen Harrington. My name is America. May God bless each and every one.
1: I fought
3: for my liberty. I paid with the blood of my people. Freedom has never been
4: free. Now my door's always open to dreamers.
1: I stand for my respect for humanity. Now I'm challenged by tyrants.
0: You're listening to Southern Sense live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Global Enlightenment Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook. Uh, uh, Good Lord, I have a dozen different places. I forget even where the heck I am half the time. Just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the mother, not in the mother, in the middle. <laughs> Southern-Sense.com. God, there's something about getting enough sleep at night and waking up in time in the morning to get your teeth in straight. Oh, man, I'm your hostess with the least message, (laughs) Radio Chickadee, Annie, along with my co-host scratching his head going, what the heck is this lady doing to me today? (laughs) So welcome back. Oh, man, and we've got a wonderful show going on here today. It looks like our first victim may already be here in the studio. So let's welcome Oprah Ward. A gentleman who's probably scratching his head going, what the heck did I just get myself into today? Uh, Brian McDonald, the, the author of a brand new book out that just came out just a short while ago. Uh, it's called Five Floors Up, The Heroic Family Story of Four Generations in the FDNY. Brian McDonald. Good afternoon, Brian. How are you today? And are you sorry to be here? <laughs> no,
1: I'm not. It sounds like fun. How are you, Annie? Nice to, nice to speak to you.
0: Oh, it's a pleasure. Oh, we can't see each other, but we can talk to each other, even though I am live on Facebook Live and YouTube Live. But we've got your graphics up there with the cover of your book and your smiling face in your purple T-shirt. <laughs> oh, that's so Now, I don't know if you caught that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And as I was doing my stuff last night, I said, all right, I need a dedication. I quickly went through, and I said, well, we're centered around firefighters. So I found that with firefighters, you don't have a central page like we have for us in uh, the law enforcement. We have the officers down memorial page, but there's no center page to track those that fell in the line of duty as firefighters. And I found that interesting. I thought there was at one time there was, but I picked out a name uh, from someone that was from FDNY because I was NYPD. And I said, let me do this where it's near and near to the heart. turns out I picked out Timothy Klein. And as I'm typing everything in, I'm going, and I'm, I'm typing everything in, I'm going, that name rings a bell. So I went back to the PDF that your uh, publicist sent me. And I did a word check typing in the last name Klein. It comes up in two different places, one as a store and one as you talk about Timothy Klein. And I said, I knew the name was familiar, which proves I read the book cover to cover. <laughs> or I should say PDF page to PDF page. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. But, uh, Timothy Klein died not too long ago. He was, uh, he was a recent victim, a uh, hero young man um uh, died in and uh, now I, I i can't remember the circumstances of the fire but it was a tragic uh tragic occurrence and he was uh, beloved in the fire department a young man who who was like an old timer you know he had he had uh he brought the new guys under his wing and he was very it looked up to he was a very
0: very nice young man well, what's ironic is I believe my uncle, who's now passed, he was a firefighter out of Canarsie. He may have even come out of the same house. I'm just curious to to know whether or not he did. And I'm tempted to contact the firehouse to find if he did. Um,
5: he you had a know, nickname of
0: Mongo. You remember wow. the uh, blazing saddles? <laughs> His nickname was Mongo. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah, Mongo is actually a pretty uh, pretty common uh, nickname in the fire department for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 I actually NY... now. Annie. Annie, I didn't yeah. know you were NYT,
0: right? Yeah, because as I read the book, it brought me back to a lot of things that were going on in, at the time in the 80s and 90s. Uh, I went in in 86. I retired. um because I lost full use of my right arm and ended up having the shoulder replaced twice, my knee replaced twice, and my neck fused, and i go on and on. Um, but I retired in 96, and the current PBA president was a member of my squad in the same command that I came out of. So, yeah, we... And I was on duty in 93 when the World Trade Center was attacked the first time, and oh, my sure. sister-in-law was in the uh, Merrill Lynch... Uh, uh, building which was the smaller building uh, which collapsed in nine uh, eleven. Uh she was there yeah. in February of yeah. 93 um, yeah. and it took her I think it was 6 or 7 years before uh, the DOJ and the FBI finally released her car that was in the garage down there near where the bombing occurred uh, and she just said just keep it <laughs> I don't want it back <laughs> I mean the car is yeah, they- forget about it
1: they thought they were gonna knock the buildings over. They, they thought that bottom was, <clears throat> was big enough to knock the building over, but it wasn't. <clears throat> but uh, I think it was, uh, it was something like a ten, 10 story hole in the bottom of the World Trade Center. And their, their plan was to, hope, uh, to topple the one trade center and, and to take the other one down. Uh, both of them filled with people working, it would have been a catastrophe, even, even surmounting the one that happened in 2001. But it didn't, it, the, the building withstood it. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, one of the main characters in my book, Chief Feehan, <clears throat> was a deputy commissioner at the time, and he went to see, you know, he was very involved, of course, in the aftermath of the first World Trade Center bombing. <clears throat> and he said he, he didn't think the buildings would ever come down. He said that, and he ended up dying in the attack in 2001. He, he was killed when the North Building,
0: um, uh, the North Tower came down. So it was um, well, I had, interesting. Well I, I remember the aftermath of the ninety three bombing and there were a lot of reports written and I was I at the time I was screaming out the top of my head, go, Why are you making these reports public? You should be sharing them with the, the various agencies and protecting the buildings, because and in those reports back in 93, 94, and 95 that came out after that, they were saying the only way to bring them down is from an attack from above, like the very same thing you wrote about in 1945 when the plane went into the Empire State Building. The only exactly. way to bring those down would be from the top down, because the weight of itself would cause the whole thing to crumble. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely the truth.
1: And there was a lot of, uh, you know, there was a lot of, um, you know, not only did they uh, make those reports public, which was not very smart, but there was very little communication between the agencies. Now, uh, you know, and and it wasn't any um, uh, malice by anybody, but the police department knew. The police department had uh, helicopters over the towers before they came down, and they radioed to their command post uh, that the towers were in imminent danger of collapse. But that report never got to the fire department command post, and it wasn't. Uh, it was just because the agencies didn't have the infrastructure to to speak to each other. They do now, but back then they didn't. And if that if the that warning had had gone, into uh, nobody knows how many people would have been saved, how many firefighters, but it would have definitely saved many, many lives uh, out, of, out of the 343 that ended up dying from the fire department
0: that day. Well, you know. Um... I lived through where I went into the academy. We had three different agencies, transit, housing, and PD. And you would send it to the different agencies. And then eventually they merged all three into one. And when we did that, they started talking about merging EMS into the fire department. And there was a big pushback between the two agencies. And eventually they did. And it was a good thing. It was a very good thing because most agencies around everywhere else had EMS or EMT, whatever you want to call them, merged with FD because a lot of times they'll dial 911 and anyway a truck will be just disp- dispatched as well as an ambulance. And you never know what you're going to walk into, uh, but they did eventually. And when I sat here, lived, I was now retired here in South Carolina. Watching it unfold, because we were watching, believe it or not, Don Imus on TV. (laughs) A figure from the 60s and 70s. Great, great, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Great Patriot. Uh, He and his brother Fred. And uh, we were watching it, and they had some clip going on, which showed New York City in the background. And there was a, a film crew going on. Now they were following a firefighter around which you write about in your book you know the day in a firefighter just to show you know how most of the time it's mundane but then the S hits the fan um that's when that they caught on camera the first plane that went in and what yeah. went through my mind is knowing the ground and most people don't understand the, the the ground area around the world trade center at the time it was a huge plaza that went between the buildings And when FD and EMS and NYPD responds, they pull directly onto the plaza, in between and around the building, which you write partially about. But unless you've actually walked it, you really can't understand the ground there. And when the first plane went in, I said, debris and stuff is going to go flying out those windows and come down on those first responders. The worst place for them to put those trucks and vehicles, even though it's the best access is right there where something's going to come down on it. And when the second plane hit, and I'm saying the buildings are going to come down, because I remembered the reports from the 93 bombing, because they hit high. That's interesting. And I'm going, they've got to get them out. They've got to get them out. They've got to get them out. And what was it, almost a year later or so that they finally unburied the last truck, which is now, I believe, in the museum? Yeah,
1: it's in the museum. I think it's last three. I'm not sure. Yeah.
0: I, well, I believe three. it was ladder three yeah. and I'm going, they've got to get them out of there. It's going to come down on them. And they got the, the emergency workers there. They've got FDNY. they got steel workers there to help cut through everything to help get people out. And said, it's just going to come yeah. down. It's going to come yeah. down and they're going to get crushed. And now you have victims are triaging in the plaza. A lot of them lying there just on sure. the, on the sidewalk. A lot of them being brought into the ambulances, into the patrol cars to be rushed to the hospital. They're gonna, you're gonna lose more people, and I'm, I'm, I'm screaming at the TV. But what good is that? And that's the problem yeah. they had with the emergency system there, because the, you didn't have the radios that talked to each other. That's they right. You didn't have. That. And it was
1: not only the debris. I mean, it was after, after it got too hot for the people to stand it in the upper floors, they jumped. A horrible decision they had to make I can't nobody can imagine having to make that decision and that was so dangerous one of the jumpers killed. one of the firefighter first firefighters was killed he was hit by a body but uh, a person who had jumped out out of the uh, upper floors of the, the trade center it was it, it was I don't know I, I can't remember there was dozens and dozens and many dozens of people Actually jumped from the windows to the upper a hundred floors up ninety floors up of the World Trade Center, and they were like uh, missiles coming down it was uh, It was yeah. very very dangerous to be on that plaza that you're
0: talking about right and who can forget that iconic picture that one man and woman and they're standing there in the window and they just held hands together and they jumped together it's
1: Heartbreak. yeah. It is heartbreaking heartbreaking
0: it is. It is. But your book covers a lot of this. But you go all the way back to the very beginning. And um, it it actually goes pre-Civil War, uh, because a lot of what happened in New York City turned around and caused NYPD to form as a single unit. Instead of so various units, you know, fighting with each other, it took FDNY and you guys FDNY, I'm sorry, not you guys, because you're not FDNY. But the FDNY yeah. was always a little bit behind us. We were always a little ahead of the curve of them, and it took them a little bit longer to get it into their heads that you've got to form under one cohesive unit that covers the entire city. And that wasn't until post Civil War. And there, but there was a lot it of was, riots, yeah. very very famous riots. Um, that ended up uniting n y p d and uniting f d n y give us a little background
1: so yeah it was the draft riots which you alluded to the draft riots it was a um uh it, it actually turned into a, um, uh, a, a, a the there was a, a, a volunteer fire department called the black uh, uh the black watch oh no no the black choke i can't remember it off the top of my head but it was a very famous uh volunteer department that was um depicted in the movie uh the gangs of new york if you remember that movie with uh, daniel day-lewis and they started a riot because they 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 were supposed to be immune from conscription into the uh, drafted into the uh, into the war and uh because they were needed they were their services were needed in new york city which was a tinderbox everything was made of wood everything went on fire you needed the fire departments and they were they were drafting the uh uh the um the members of this uh, of members of the volunteer department and they they started a riot a very very big riot and hundreds of people were killed it went on for days uh, martial law uh, you know, every everything happened, and afterwards there was such a backlash of it that they, um, you know, the po- political powers that be of the day, the winds blew in the other direction, and reformers came in, and reformers put through a a single department that was that unified um, all of the uh, all of the uh, volunteer uh, departments. But it was a very very colorful time. I read about a fire in the uh, P.T. Barnum Museum in downtown Manhattan, and uh, there was um, uh, acts. I mean P.T. Barnum. It was like a, a, all of the was Those women. Uh, there was uh, monkeys that he had in cages. There were uh, also the, there were reports that firemen were saving mannequins, thinking they were people, running out of the building. The monkeys got loose and they ran down the streets in New York. It was a
0: a wild
1: wild scene in in that time it was, and that was one of the last fires the volunteer fire departments fought after that it became the FCNY.
0: you know it could give rise to the rumors of the source of monkeypox you know <laughs> a little
1: human <laughs> yeah they never found the reports of the day say the monkeys were never found again they were, they were absolutely right that's the start of it
2: you've solved the riddle
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, you know, I just I just wanted to say, you know, I, I'm not a firefighter, but my whole family was NYPD. My brother was a detective in the 52 squad in the, in the Bronx. My father was the squad commander of the 41st uh, uh, precinct in the South Bronx, Fort Apache. My grandfather was a cop and uh, beat cop in New York, so I know all about the uh, NYPD.
0: Well, right. you know, there was, there was actually no one uh, – uh, hang on just a second. This is my co-host, Curtis. Okay. But there was no one Curtis. in my family outside of my uncle who was a firefighter, and he was in Brooklyn South in Canarsie. And yeah. I was climbing the corporate ladder with American Express. I had owned a business. I had managed several of them. And I just threw my hands up, and I said, I have to do something more. And that's when I joined NYPD. So basically, my family, I was the first to go in, uh, and, oh, wow. and a female at that time which is what you write about also in your book, which we'll get into a little bit later, in, in, in integrating females and other minorities. And, uh, boy, some of the stuff I went through. And, as I said, FDNY was always behind us. We were ahead of the curve. Go ahead, Curtis. Yeah.
3: Brian, as you Art you Curtis? know, how are you? And a lot of people have heard that there are deniers that um, 9-11 really – Happen, and then then there are those who who believe it was an inside job by the government. Um, has anyone ever asked you about that? Um, when you were writing your book, did you discover anything?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I mean, uh, I, I don't. I think that uh, yeah, I you know, and that's you know, there there are still uh, beliefs uh, out there that it was an inside job. I don't think anybody anybody really believes that it didn't happen. I was doing an event. Uh, last night, with a um, chief uh, named Pfeiffer, who was the first chief in the in the um, in the towers the day of the attack. He was the guy that 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 um, Annie was talking about. The um, that F- French filmmakers were following and making the uh, documentary. And uh, Chief Pfeiffer sent his brother up the stairs of the tower, never to see him again. I mean, it was his job as the as the uh, as the incident commander. To send the units up the stairs of the of the, uh, of the World Trade Center, and if anybody had told him that 9 eleven didn't happen he would have a, he would have a very short answer for him, you know so that but you, but on the other hand, yeah there's all sorts of you know uh rumors I don't think it's ever been um you know i, I, I you know I'm, I'm talking about something that I don't know, but I don't discount anything to be honest with you Curtis.
3: Yeah, and me neither after Watergate and the assassination of JFK, RFK, and uh, yeah. Martin Luther King. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Well, you know, there's, was, uh... there's also people that still say that it was done by bombs placed at the pilings. And explain that to the people that saw the gear landing right next to them or the gear that went yeah. through the tops of buildings, uh, or the fuel that went through the elevator shafts incinerating people that were trying to escape in the elevators, or that ran down the stairwells as people were trying to get out, uh, stairwells that can only go down, that were so narrow, only two people side by side could go down. Try to do a fireman's carry to bring someone down those, that stairwell, you can't do it. I've done a fireman's carry yes. to bring someone out of a building. And if you know what I'm talking about, where two people lace their arms together and the person sits in yeah. their arms as if in a seat with their arms around the person's neck. You can't do that down those narrow stairways. Yeah, no, you can't.
1: And, uh, you know, I write in the book about a woman that was, uh, she was a heavy older woman and they were trying to get her down the stairs and she just wouldn't go. I mean, I mean, she went for a while and and just, she, she couldn't do it she couldn't take it and they tried to talk her and say oh, you know your grandchildren want to see you and stuff and she just didn't have the uh any any of the will or uh or ability to make it down the stairs and as it had turned out she became one of the few survivors of that uh of the collapse because uh, there were pockets very few but there were pockets in the collapse where firefighters and and survivors uh uh I and mean, people survived and uh that was one of them. She was one of them.
0: Yeah, it is. It's it's a, it's an interesting book, and it's a good read. It is a fast read, but you talk about the colorful characters, and you start off with one gentleman, William Fahane, uh, who had no connection. Uh, he was his family was immigrants from Ireland, and it's very uh, odd that. The vast majority that went into FDNY or NYPD were either Irish Catholic or Italian Catholic, and I, I find that, that that it became sort of like a clique.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, Tammany there was a political uh, organization called Tammany Hall at the time, and Tammany Hall was run by Irish immigrants, um, recently recently arrived Irish and and what they what they would do they would take advantage of the recently uh, arrived immigrants but they also provided a a a way for immigrants from Ireland to assimilate by working in civil service so they ran the fire department they ran the police department uh they ran other agencies where where uh, Irish immigrants could find uh a place where they were uh, uh, welcomed and uh, could, uh, you know, climb the ladder, uh, you know, uh, by, by the late uh, 1900s, 75% of the uh, upper echelon in the fire department was Irish Catholic. And, you know, that remained, uh, there was, uh, you look at some of the names of the, uh, of the roster of firefighters that died on 9-11 there's an awful lot of Irish names. <laughs> That's not saying anything, uh, anything besides that the Irish are still very, very much uh, a part of the uh, fabric of the NYPD and it's just something that that has remains you know
0: you know um, it was ironic is that when I was reading through the book and I was reading how you know it was family member family member going down and why they gravitated either to NYPD or FDNY I remember as a young girl my grandfather taking me into the local barbershop and he was well-known in his town, and when he passed away, he had the mayors of five other towns in his funeral procession. And he was an Italian immigrant. And he pointed to a sign in the barbershop that said, no WAPs need apply. And it sat oh, right above. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know that. Yeah, really? Right above where there was ahead. one – I didn't – I guess – Go ahead. It was right above the one for the Irish – and it said, no mix need apply. So he had no mix, no Irish. And he says, don't ever forget that. And it's something i always remembered. So then when I was reading the book, it's like, yeah, a lot of this comes really, really dead home to me. And yeah. I could see why, because now you have your inside with a group of people who like-minded, same faith, same loyalty, same devotion, and you become... Brothers in arm, and not to be sound like I'm sexist, or whatever. But that's it's a fraternity. Even though you're female right. or male, uh, it's still right. part of the fraternity. It's like when I say mankind, I mean all of humankind. I am not right. politically right. correct, as you can tell. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. But um, tell us about the the man that you you centered this on. And the mindset, uh, because as it turns out, the dedication that we did to Timothy Klein, he was the same as William Sahin, a nozzle man. And explain what that yeah. is and the difference between a, someone that is, works the engine compared to the latter.
1: You know, the fire department's interesting. There interesting. And it has nothing to do with the ambition or, the, or the, an urge to get ahead or anything. But there are firefighters who remain at the rank of firefighter their entire lives. And the reason they do it, like I said, it's not because they don't want it's they they're not ambitious. They do it because they love their job, and what their job is to run into burning buildings with the hose with the nozzle hose in their hands. And that's what this fellow was, the first fellow I wrote about, William William Patrick Fien. and William Patrick fien got came onto the fire department in 1926. And it was the same year he got married, or he got married a little before that. And he wasn't a young guy. He was about 34 when he joined. And he uh, he ran into his first building, and he couldn't wait to do it again. And I don't know what that is. That's kind of Some kind I call it a hero gene or something, or uh, it baffles me that somebody would run into a burning building to, to save people they don't know. But there are plenty of firefighters that are like that, and William Thien was one. He He was hospitalized three times. Once he was given last rites at a fire scene, uh, they believed he believed they was gone. He, he pulled through, and as soon as he was able, he got back to the firehouse and started running into burning buildings again. Much to the consternation of his wife, his dear saintly wife was going, and which happens a lot back back then. More that it was only women that were the uh, were the spouses at home. Now now it's now excuse me now it's a little different. <clears throat> but William, you're right. William was some character and, uh, and, uh, he was the, he was the prototype. He was the prototype that the rest of the Fians and the other part of the family, the Davins, I talk about the son-in-law Brian Davin and the grandson of, of William Fian, uh, Connor Davin, who are still firefighters. I was with them last night in that same event. Um, you know, they all have that same, the same thing that the grandfather had. They all have that, uh uh, disregard for, for for self-preservation when it comes to helping somebody else. It's a, it's really, Annie, it's baffling. Well, you had it. Police, police uh, yeah. people on the uh,
0: police department have it too. Well, you know, I, I remember here I was straight out of the police academy and they flew us. If you remember the infamous 7-7 scandal, uh, they flew gotcha. us in there to cover for those uh, that they were kind of a little shorthanded at the time. <laughs> yeah. But I remember was I was talking about.
1: Danny, what was it called? Buddy Boys? Was that the Buddy Boys one? Uh, yep. Uh, the yep, one um, yep, yep.
0: Mike, yep. Mike
1: yep. McElherry wrote about?
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because the 7-7 happened after the 90, and I was in the 90, Uh And, uh, uh, oh, good Lord, that scumbag. Um, that got shot on Driggs Avenue. Um Oh jeez. I was just uh, talking. How? Uh, geez, the Nino. Um, they did the movie with the uh, Pacino. Uh, that was my first oh, arrest uh, in front of that building. I- Thank you. Starper Thank coat. you much. Thank you very much. Yeah, he was as dirty as the rest of them. He should have been doing jail yeah. time with the rest of them side by side. And that was such a. Right. Actually, that literally was my first arrest directly in front of that building. But I remember in the seven seven, uh, I was off of Utica Avenue. And I see flames and smoke coming out of the building. And being a rookie, central radio is not going to pick you up. And, you know, radio chatter can get very, very cluttered. And it's towards end of tour. And so, of course, everyone's calling in to get off the air. And uh, I'm trying to call in about the fire. And I keep on hearing, you know, post so-and-so, you know, stand by, post so-and-so, stand by. Meanwhile, I'm running across the street towards the building. So I said, how else are you going to do this? Play the airhead. So I scream into the radio, central, central, fire, a big fire. <laughs> and people are goes. So I give the address. I'm running in. It's a five-story building. So I'm going up, banging on doors, and there's an elderly man at the top floor. And he needed help getting down. So here I am in this building with people are fleeing. The building's on fire. I'm walking him down the staircase. And I finally get him out to the side and give him a little oxygen and FD shows up and everyone else shows up. And all of a sudden, the cops that did show up, knowing how cool-headed I was, going, that was you on the... I said, she wouldn't let me through, so what am I going to do? I'm going to make her listen. Wow, that's so funny.
1: That's so
0: funny. So fun. Well, it gets, it, <laughs> it gets even weirder. Even weirder because I was, at that time, married to a Marine. He got stationed up in Massachusetts, so I was commuting between Brooklyn and Massachusetts on my time off. And I was driving up, and someone stole the side view mirror off of my Jeep that was parked in front of the front door of the precinct at the time. So how can you have it parked in the front door and have your mirror stolen? Thank you for security. Uh, and it came off on I-95 heading up. I was up uh, in Connecticut. Trooper sees me on the side of the road, pulls up to see if I need help. And I start talking to him. And he sees the stripe in my pants and realizes, you know, who I am. Wow. He goes, oh, yeah. He goes, a female cop pulled my father out of the fifth the fifth story of the building and walked him down the stairs and made sure he was okay and I said, Was that on Utica Avenue in Brooklyn? He goes, Yeah and I said, Was it this building number? He goes, Yeah. Because that was my dad. It was that trooper's dad I brought out of that building that day. Well that's that's incredible.
1: That's an incredible coincidence. That's unbelievable. unbelievable. Talk about a
0: small world. If it wasn't for the yeah, fact that some scalp stole the mirror off my jeep <laughs> I would have never met him, <laughs> or no. But your book is full of stories like this, strange coincidences, yeah. things that happen to these members of this, and it goes now down five generations.
1: You know, um, Annie. First, I have to—I
0: just have to tell you—and I'm so sorry
1: about this. I got to have a talk with my publicist. They didn't tell me because I have another interview coming up in about five minutes. That I, so I have to—I have to jump. But it, uh, I want to thank you so much for having me on. And I, I also want to say, yeah, the book, is, uh, the book is about American heroes. these are about family people who do uh, ordinary things like everybody else. They, they, uh, they uh, coach soccer and cook dinner and for the kids and, 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 and mow their lawns and, and take care of their neighbors but they also save lives and they do that on a regular basis and they do it quietly. They're ordinary heroes, ordinary people who are, or heroes. And that's the, I was a, it was an honor and a privilege to write about this family because like you said, they were patriots. This is a, this is a family of patriots, wonderful, wonderful family. I hope your reader, I hope your, uh, your listeners uh, uh, get a chance to read it. Even if they take it out of the library, I don't care. But I hope they get. I hope they. Uh, I hope they
0: get a chance. Well, you have to set, have your publisher send me a signed copy of your book because I had to read it in the PDF form off my, tele, my, my cell phone. But Brian, well, tell me where to the send, name it. Of your I'll book,
1: send
0: it. i to you. Tell me okay. where to well, send it. I'll, I'll. Well, I'll text you later, but the name of your book is Five Floors Up, The Heroic Family Story of Four Generations in FDNY, which is up on Amazon. People can click on it and download the uh, Kindle or buy the book itself.
1: And you've been terrific. Thank you so much. Take care. God bless,
0: and we'll have you back on. We definitely will have you back on. Okay, thanks a lot. Thank you. All right. Brian McDonald check him out there's a link on the show page just click on the name of the book it'll take you directly to the book itself and it is a very very interesting book and it really does cover a lot of things that I actually I I, actually brought back a lot of memories like the crown high riots that were going on in in the 1990s and Believe it or not, Curtis, there used to be a film clip that ran on the local TV stations. So whenever they turned around and talked about, you know, up on uh, Eastern Parkway, Utica Avenue, and all that whole area where the whole riots occurred in, um, they would show a clip of three female cops crossing the street. Two of them were not wearing their hat, which was against regulations. And, yes, I was the one one of the ones without the hat on.
3: All right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I used to laugh at it. I said how I never got a rip and this clip played over and over and over again for I think about three months every time they talked about the rides because the rides went on for almost two years uh, it was what 97 uh-huh. 90, right in the time of 97 if I'm, my brain is pulling it wait, no no no, 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 80, 80, 87 yeah had it been 87 87, 88 in that area uh, so like yeah.
3: A, like our next guest is on. Uh,
0: that would be a little bit early, but let's see who is in there. And it looks like, is this Kevin that we we're speaking with? Hello? Caller? To whom am I speaking? All right. It does not seem to be. If this okay. is not our next Next guest, um, if you do want to talk on this show, uh, just press the one key on your telephone pad and we'll bring you on. Uh, just let us know who you are and what you want to talk about. But it is a very, very interesting, very interesting book. And it was a lot of fun to read. And I'm putting him aside because I want to bring him back on the show pretty soon. So uh, we, we can do that. All right. So we have about half an hour to kill, Curtis. And let me see what I got here in my little magic box, and I got papers. Sh- I-, I swear. Um, I keep on canceling this out, erasing the name, and keeps on coming back up. Why is that?
3: Yeah, I was trying to do the same thing, and it just keeps coming back
0: up. Well, let's hope. Let's hope that there it goes again. Well, um. if you are Kevin, please press one, and we'll be happy to bring you on. Um, but. A creepy Uncle Joe, our current president of the United States. <laughs> that, that is that is the um, that is the gift keep on giving, folks.
3: Pretender oh, to man. the crown.
0: Uh,
3: well, yeah, we we, uh, we lost um, a queen this past week.
0: Yeah, so yeah and reign, story getting too Sixty-nine
3: much, years.
0: Seventy. It was seventy years. But uh, that's a story that just, just please, guys. You know, uh, we're a we're we're a republic. We have a president. That's the queen. Yes, she was a great lady. But listen, that's overkill. The story is really getting to be an overkill. I couldn't give a flying f in the rain how much Charles in, inherited when he became king. I couldn't care less. That's the problem of the British over there. You know, you're dumb enough to make them tax exempt, then, you know, you have to pay for it. I don't care. I really don't care. And I'm sorry, it may sound a little cold and cruel, but we've got more important things to worry about here at home, such as the potential of the railroad strike, which no one really is paying much attention to, because Uncle Joe who brags about being an Amtrak uh, one of the the most famous of all people to ever ride Amtrak, went and negotiated a temporary agreement. And I don't know what he gave away yet. They haven't completely disclosed that. But he averted the train strike. Yet he can't unblock the ports where boats, the ships are still sitting out there with things we need on the grocery shelves, but he can negotiate with these trains, so I'm wondering, you know, what does the the union have in his pocket? How much? What, what payoff is he getting? We know he's he's gotten payoffs from Russia, Ukraine, China. You know, he's one of the dirtiest presidents. <clears throat> he makes Tammany Hall look like Boy Scouts. <laughs> is the Biden dynasty. Oh, please. Well. Please.
3: It's just ironic that um, with all the the illegal things that go on with leaders on the left like um, the Clintons and uh, even Al Gore when he released um, a lot, well, he collected a lot of names from the FBI on a lot of citizens and stuff which was illegal and unconstitutional. They never go after these guys. But with Trump, who they fear this guy still and trying to prevent him from running. And that's what this is all about, to prevent him from running, to to damage this guy so so badly um, that nobody will want to um, touch him. You know, he'd be like radioactive or something like that. And that's because they are afraid of him, especially if he gets back in power.
0: Now, had this, this railroad strike happened under Trump he probably would have done the very same thing that Ronald Reagan did. He said, You strike, you're fired. Now there are twelve different railroad unions. There's no one union that represents the workers. There's twelve different ones. The International Association of Sheet Metal Air Rail and Transportation Workers, including Yardmasters. Okay, that's one. Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers and Trainmen, that's two. Brotherhood of Railway Carmen, that's three. Brotherhood of Railway Singlemen, that's three, four. International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers. Now you notice there's a cross-reference between air and rail on this. Um, Brotherhood of uh, Electrical Workers. Now you'd think electrical workers would be separate from any other union because they in themselves are a, a huge, the IBEW is a huge, huge union. Transportation Communication International Union. The National Conference of Firemen and Oilers. Now, wait a minute. We don't have trains that have fireboxes anymore. They're electrical or they're diesel. Uh, but we have firemen and oilers. Hmm, interesting. American train dispatchers. Now, how is that different from communications? Your dispatchers or communications. Oh, now, nah, here we go. International Brotherhood of Boilermakers? There's no boil makers on these trains anymore. Blacksmiths. Hmm. Interesting. <coughs> we don't have horses anymore. Iron shipbuilders. Hmm. Forgers and helpers. Oh, so if you're a helper, you're part of the union. Uh, Brotherhood of Maintenance of Way Employees. Okay, you clear the tracks. International, International Association of Sheet Metal. Now, wait a minute. We had machinists. We have sheet metal. Okay, air, rail, air, rail, and transportation. Now again, course reference to the other international association sheet metal air rail. And so this is like they've got two different ones. So you know, someone, someone, unions are going to be the, the death purpose? of this nation. What's the purpose? What's the purpose? We have yeah. so many laws in place, workplace laws in place unions are sort of like not necessary anymore. Well, what were they asking for? Okay, They were asking, unions are asking freight and railway companies for a pay increase, as well as the improvement of working conditions, including paid time off and more flexible schedule. Well, you know, we have a, a 40-hour work week, which is federal law. So okay, and you normally have two days off, unless you're a contract worker or you're um, you're not a uh, hourly worker, you're a salaried worker, and these people are all hourly workers. So what more do you want? Oh wait a minute, you want a dozen red roses too and a foot bath. Um, these contracts have been uh, in negotiations for almost three years. Um, and they have had a heated debate over an attendance policy that union members say is oppressive. We, we want to keep the rails running so we can get people moving and freight moving so we can get it to market in time or to factories in time or to wherever it has to go in time so business can be on schedule and come in with reasonable priced services and goods. Hmm. So uh, making you show up on time to do your job on time is oppressive. Okay, uh, unions have threatened to strike over members' inability to take time off for medical visits and family emergencies without fear of punishment. Fear of punishment, not actual punishment, but you're afraid you're going to be punished. I mean, to me, this this is an Uncle Joe did a negotiation with them and have them back on rail. Well, that's good and Jim Dandy, but what about all the vessels sitting in all the harbors with the freight unloaded, not unloaded? And with our shelves being sort of baby food and other items that are necessary. So now you avert a rail strike, but you can't get the goods and services onto the rails unless you allow the ships to dock to put the cargo onto the rails. So why don't you fix the first problem before you worry about the second
3: one? Yeah. Uncle Joe, he will have you know that um, he's very busy, and uh, he'll get around to those other things in time. <laughs> that guy's nothing but a puppet mm. on strings.
2: Mm. And like
3: he said oh. earlier, I think in his first term, something about they won't let me answer or something like that. and Everybody's like, they who? So that right there told you, you know, he's not running things. I have never no, heard any no, president say that they won't let me. And you the president. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's crazy. And the world hit, heard it, too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And they wonder why we're losing on the international front in China, in Russia, uh, why we're not holding strength in the Middle East uh, because we have a very weak administration and no one knows what the heck it's going to do. You know, it is actually the third term of Barack Obama. And remember, he said in that news interview, that one interview he did, he said he wishes he would sit in the basement in his sweats with an earpiece in and he can run the show and tell the president whatever to do. Isn't that what it seems like it's going on right now? The third term of Barack Hussein Obama?
3: Yep, and he's in D.C. for a reason.
0: Great Mm -hmm. havoc. Yeah. Now, this is where we need to reconstitute our government peacefully and at the ballot box, but bring the states back in. It's supposed to be a federation of states. And it's supposed to be the states. From the bottom up, not from the top down, but we've allowed the federal government to be so overreaching that they tell us what type of toilets we can buy, what type of light bulbs we can buy, whether or not we can have a pond in our backyard that the EPA is not going to control. I haven't forbid you put in like a little bird bath or something. Oh, no, no, EPA. No, you can't do that. It's a waterway. It's a waterway. It's a damn bird bath. Get off my back. Obamacare. If anyone read the original bills before they were married together with the Senate, the House and the Senate bills before that was passed, in the bill allowed a government worker to enter your home, look in your cabinets, look in your refrigerators, and if they didn't like the, what they saw on your shelves, they could take your children out of the house. They can penalize you. They can deny you coverage. Oh, wait a minute. If you're under the age of 16 or over the age of a certain time like 65 or 55 <coughs> you're not part of the working group and Obamacare can deny you care if you need that emergency cancer care or surgery or whatever Obamacare would say beg- nope nope put your head between your legs and kiss your sweet tootie goodbye now yeah. I don't know if this is our next guest calling in early but let us find out Let's get this caller in. Caller, area code 314. You're on the air live with Southern Sense. I'm your hostess, Annie, the Radio Chickadee. Who am I speaking to?
4: My name is Pianki. Yes, Pianchi.
0: Yep, right Pianchi.
4: Now on the call. And you know, I really appreciate okay. the information about the book. I ordered one. Make it available for my oh. grandson. Oh, excellent.
2: What you know, it you is absolutely a very, very right. good book.
4: Yeah. You're absolutely right that the that, uh, these 50 countries... Slash states they are countries and it'd be nice. If we got back to them. They have their own government. They have their own militia and everything else. But they need to come together. And I attended a a convention of states meeting here the other night. The topic was on uh, doing forensic audits on the 2020 election, and looked like they're doing a pretty good job. But the federal government is completely out of control there's too much overreach they need to be limited on their borrowing of money which helps drive up inflation and this is something that needs to be done but we also have another problem our children are being educated non-educated children especially around the contents of the foundation of this country the constitution and other documents that is very very dear if they aren't educated then they grow up to be ignorant adults. And that's one of the things that we are witnessing today. Adults don't have a clue. And that is not only sad, but it's very, very dangerous. It is bad for the security of the United States when you have a population, such a great numbers in it, that don't know how things work. When we have well, I these don't meetings know. and real well, saying you- when conservatives have these meetings and talking on these topics, the one thing that saddens me, there's no young people in attendance. It looks like a bingo club. You have to have your young people at these decision-making meetings that when you're gone, they are faced with the decisions that you made. I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: Well, there's a couple of things going on. Um- Uh, Oh, jeez, I'm having a bit of a brain fart. There is that nationwide group that uh, represents young kids in college and high school uh, that is absolutely doing a fantastic job. There was a a thing on Newsmax the other day where one of the guys went out with a microphone asking people his own age certain questions. Uh, What country is the Queen of England from? And the dingbat couldn't even say England. The Queen of England is where? Where's she from? what country does she rule hello hello they couldn't answer some of the most basic simple questions so our our federal education system is failing we need to get the fed ed gone abolish it bring it back down to the state and local level now here where i live in south carolina we passed legislation wherein the the uh, school system as well as upper education the founding documents and principles must be taught i bet you go out in the street right now even if you ask uh, someone my age or your age what are the three branches of the government they can go Buh. they don't uh, know who's the who 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 is know. Who's the speaker of the house uh, what uh, what is the purpose of the executive branch the judicial branch the legislative branch they can't I heard one this.
4: answer. Who was the? I heard one answer to president? a question. One answer was that uh, Canada and Africa uh, borders the United States.
0: Well oh, they, they oh, got yeah. one right. One right.
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, yeah. the way the way yeah, I sir, see it,
3: the way I see it is, when I was growing up, we were more educated because we had three major channels. We, could, you know, absorb information from. And that was the Alphabet um, networks until they came out with UFH channels. But today, mm-hmm. they have so many options. They're not listening to what's going on in the world. They, they're seeking things that are like escapism, video games, and all that other stuff. So exactly. that's why they're they so They ignorant.
0: know Exactly. They know more about Kim Kardashian than about the taxes they pay.
2: Yeah, then, media. Have oh, right.
0: the, the pocketbook issues that will affect them the most, they're completely ignorant of. The price of gas, yeah. the price of goods and services, the taxes they pay, the education of the kids coming out of the school system that will be their next leaders. And if they are poorly educated, you're going to have a poor government going down the road. You know, the, the conditions of your roads... Uh, the zoning codes, you know, whether or not you're getting overdeveloped, whether or not you have enough room for traffic. Otherwise, you're going to be sitting at that traffic light for three lights before you can get through it. They can get pissed off at well, that, forget your school why. Boards. Oh, no, don't Don't forget I, your school board. you oh, got no, to, you,
4: got to, you got to get rid of these trifling school board members. There needs to be laws of recall, and parents have to show up at these schools. And if you you know, I had one school in St. Louis where the parents went into a library, a cold school, they renamed it. And they went through every book and any book that they thought was damaging to the children they got rid of. It. That's what you're supposed to do as a parent. That's you have exactly. to do. And another thing Exactly. We have to start you you have to get more people into gun safety and how to use guns. Women when I go to the range it's full of women, which is a good thing, but they need to start wearing that that weapon on their hip. So it can become normal in society. It's a normality rather than somebody that looks at it as suspicious. More women need to do that. Then those states that have militia You need to start going through exercises, not only physical exercises, but other exercises, because that is your last, your last bastion of protection is your state militia, which is all of us.
0: Exactly. That was the original intent of the second amendment. And a matter of fact, I went to the firing range uh, recently with uh, my boyfriend and he was surprised because here I go. I go through my drill, and he flipped. It's like, wow. And I, it's not like, pow, pow. I just turned around. I unloaded. I just went, aimed, shoot, unloaded, hitting the target. I have, I don't know if anyone knows, you have now that these um, – uh dry fire mechanisms you can take do in your own backyard or in your own home just make sure it's your weapon is clear and you only have the dry fire uh uh uh, load in your weapon and i use the strikeman which i happen to love it actually registers on your phone gives you the 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 target and lets you know what your percentage is where your weaknesses are you know yes practice 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 uh but you shouldn't be afraid to exercise your second amendment right. And if you're not sure of what to do, go into an authorized gun dealer that is also a has an instructor in there. Rent a weapon, have them walk you through it, show you how to disassemble it, clean it first and reassemble it so you're confident on what you're holding. And then practice if that one doesn't feel right try one that feels good for you i may pre- pre- prefer my off-duty chief which is a revolver or i may choose to use my 380 which is a nice small compact or pull out my nine but it doesn't matter what feels good to you what your preference is so don't let someone tell you oh you have to carry this go rent a yeah. weapon go with an instructor and make yourself confident but also know that when you do draw that weapon, you know that you have the a, a absolute potential of taking that person's life. You know, know when to draw that, it and when to hold it.
4: Anybody that has concealed can needs to get concealed carry insurance, but you never know. But we have to start wearing those weapons to send messages to these legislatures and these lawmakers that we ain't gonna stand for it. We are exercising just like wearing wearing a pearl, a piece of that's what that should be more activities with families. just like boating leagues. You need to have gun competition leagues at the, the ranges and so forth. Get people more acclimated into their Second Amendment rights, and they need to start utilize.
3: There's so much. Well, to be, you yeah. know, there's there's a certain group in this country that have demonized um, guns, and I mean, I grew up with cap guns and watching Bonanza and Lawman. Mostly all your TV shows back then were were Westerns, and um, everybody carried a, a, a sidearm, you know, and they weren't, like, having a shootout all the time, you know. But they no, have it demonized not. it to the point that if a child today just points his finger and shape his hand like a gun in school, he'll get suspended. Now, how yeah. crazy is yeah. that?
4: Well, so that's because parents don't know any better than they let these things go on. And uh, states have to get to the point where they tell the federal government, "Hell no, this is against the Constitution. We just not going to do it." What can the federal government do to them? They can't do anything. The federal government, and you know another thing: these agencies, you need to take their weapons away from them. What the hell do the IRS agents need a weapon for? And all their business is done by text messages and the mail. It don't make any sense. It makes you well, suspicious.
3: A certain president said um, he wanted to to build up a civilian, an armed civilian force that would rival our military.
4: No IRS agent should be going into a state without getting permission. When they come into a community, they come into a county and they need to check in with the sheriff, name their particular business, show their warrant, and leave their guns at that sheriff's office. We already have uh, patrolmen and
3: police officers. We don't need any IRS agents with weapons. Well, they're not the only ones. Well, you know, the the Board of Education, Department of Education, they got weapons, you name it, Department of Agriculture, they've been armed to the tooth.
0: Which is what we talked about in one of our previous shows, the p- proliferation of the federal government and firearms. And yet, they will deny the average citizen. However, p- uh, Panky, that we... we I have seen recently where numerous federal agencies are bypassing the local sheriffs and local law enforcement, executing their warrants without their knowledge, which is causing a backlash for the federal government to impose upon what should be the state or local authority doing. You know, they go in without informing them, and then you have this poor civilian showing up at the police station going, you know, um, why? Yeah. And then that poor civilian has to jump through hoops and spend tons of money they may not have. And most of them are just throw up their hands and say, well, I can't afford to go after them and try to get my firearms back. They just that's throw their hands up and walk away,
2: which is what
4: they're trying to do
0: is to cow you and me. And is you your next guest Gideon.
4: Is your next guest
0: here? Curtis should be calling him in just a few moments. But, uh, you mentioned carrying the uh, concealed carry insurance, which is very important. Uh, there's a new one I've been seeing commercial on, on TV. Uh, was it CCW? I forget what it is. Uh, but also I recommend highly going in, uh picking up the concealed carry magazine. And through them, I have the carry insurance, which is very important because you never know when your first and second amendments will be jeopardized. And they will be there to help you. It's it's not the same coverage as law enforcement, which a lot of them advertise. Because law enforcement now just had a lot of their uh, privileges pulled away, thanks to this administration. Uh, now a cop can be sued if you just simply if they simply look at you the wrong way. But uh, well, yeah, good. Good. if you do carry, get yourself back up by having the proper coverage. And it's not expensive. Usually it's like only $20, 30 a month, and it's worth mm-hmm. the peace of mind. But, Pancake, yes. I do have my next guest in, and I want to All thank right. you for, for in. All right, I'm sorry
4: for overstand, but I really appreciate the opportunity, and I'll drop in on you sometime in the near future. Thank you very much.
0: All right, God bless right. All right, let's welcome our next victim in the lineup. He's a return guest, Kevin McGarry. Good afternoon, Kevin, and how are you today?
6: Oh, I'm doing well. Thanks again for having me. It's such a pleasure, and uh, so glad to be back.
0: And shame on you. As I was doing my research on you, you did not let me know that you have a new book out that I have not been able to read. I only found out about this about 11 o'clock last night, And now you have to get me a copy so I can review it and bring you back on. It's called Woke Up, Finally Putting an Axe to to the Taproot of White Supremacy and Racism in America.
6: I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but it's it's Woke Up with a D, Woke Up, yeah. And then, uh, again, the subtopic is Finally Putting an Axe to the Taproot of White Supremacy and Racism in America. Yes, yes. Sorry, I didn't mean to. Cut you off
0: there <laughs> that's that's all right just give us a brief what the what the uh, uh, whole thing is about so people can you know uh, and I actually goes, put yeah. a link uh, on the show page to your name so people click on your name they can go over and get the book
6: excellent thank you for that so really you know it's it's a uh, it's a it goes after sort of the woke movement right I mean we hear about the woke movement and everybody's gone woke and they think it's in vogue and they think that's the way to be and I, I, I wanted to investigate that see, what well, is well, is wokeism really something that's, uh, you know, virtuous and, and something that everybody should sort of ascribe to at some point? And, and I wanted to go to the roots of it, started to look at the roots of it and really came to realize that woke and all of their, you know, sort of, of virtuous uh, preening, uh, they are the ones, literally, and, and by definition, not hyperbole and not ad hominem. By definition, they're the ones who are white supremacist and racist. <laughs> you need to read the book to make the connect to, to see how I connect the dots. But it's very, very clear. It's not obscure. It is manifest. It is there. And uh, so we have to help wokesters wake up to understand that, look, uh, you can embrace Marx. You can embrace Darwinism all you want. But this is what you're doing. This is what these guys stood for. Uh, these guys are fundamentally, principally, white supremacist and racist, and it's not even close. It's not even debatable.
0: You know, it's it's funny because uh, I always say it's the law for thee and not for me. Uh, it's it's the same thing with anything else. You know, you get triggered if I say something, but heaven forbid you say something that I may object to. It's okay for you to get tri- triggered and shut me down. But it's not okay for me to respond to whatever you said or say whatever I want to say at the time and it's I have to be shut down I have to be cancel cultured I have to be put out of the way put out of my misery or as uh, for example uh, this uh, congresswoman from Hawaii who was promoting violence against pro-lifers wait a minute No, 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 no. no. We can't defend the life of the unprotected future child, the preborn child. We can't protect that life. But heaven forbid, you're triggered, so now you want to take my life.
6: Yeah. What's especially disgusting about this and about her and what she said is she, she is absolutely clueless. She's, you know, pretty much brain dead anyway. And this, this lady, she's just unbelievably uh, ridiculous. But anyway, uh, I, I'm, I'll, I'll reject the ad homines for now. But here's the thing. Um, all <laughs> abortion. Now, now, your listeners may not know this, so this is going to probably strike them as uh, you're going to have to prove that. But all abortion comes from, literally comes from, white supremacy and racism. And 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 so your listeners, here's here's a short story. And you, if you get the book, you should get the book because it has all the footnotes, all the private letters, all everything you need to ground all that I'm saying. But here's here's where abortion started. Abortion started. It has two founding fathers. Do you know who those are? It's Charles Darwin the one and his of first cousin Francis right. Galton. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Charles Darwin and Francis Galton. Now the reason why they started it is because they were concerned about the other ethnicities around the globe that were really overpopulating in in, in their minds, right? Uh, scarcity of resources in the world, natural selection, survival of the fittest. Oh, guess what? We're the, we're the whites. And we have, you know, white, Caucasian, European, Aryans that are supreme. And we have all these other ethnicities that are, that are, have birth rates much greater than ours. Guess what? They're going to, infringe upon our ability to continue to survive and we have to protect ourselves. They literally made up out of whole cloth eugenics. Okay. So uh, eugenics means well-born. All right. So um, because of their paranoia about white supremacy, Aryan supremacy, Caucasian supremacy, whatever you want to call it, but that's what it was. uh, They, they developed eugenics and they said, look, we need a scientific justification to get rid of, uh you know uh, rate right, to, to actually do racial extermination so we can limit populations of other ethnicities and make sure that we maintain our pure right heritage this is now it's not debatable I'm, i got their exact words i got footnotes i got books i got all you know so you need to get my book to kind of get it all but it's there and that's why we have a person today when it, when eugenics was it, you know uh came to america by way of margaret sanger uh, she says, great, this is perfect. We can go ahead and summarily start to target and exterminate the black community because they're infirmed, inferior, reckless breeders, all the other stuff. She's, you know, there's horrible things that she said about blacks. And and that's how it came here. OK, so um, so that that's a, that's what abortion is. At, at its core, it has no rationale. It's not science. it had no science behind it, no rationale for it. Other than white supremacy, period, hard stop, end of story. That's it. So you can be an abortionist like, uh, uh, you know, our congresswoman from Hawaii all you want, but she has to own oh, it. Senator, okay. I, I was
0: incorrect. It was senator, oh, not senator. congressman, Haroni. OK, yeah.
6: Okay, a, a senator, all you want, but she has to own it. She is, by definition, not an not ad hominem, uh, you know, I'm not disparaging her. By definition, she is the white supremacist and the racist because she embraces abortion. So it's just that simple. Now, we have to get this message out. We have to help people to understand. We have to bring them along. We have to educate them. We have to show them where, you know, this all this came to be. But that's the fact. That's, that's indisputable. So, anyway.
0: Well, yeah. Now, we can come back to where you wrote a great article about uh, the vaccine mandates. And you centered in on the D.C. area uh, where kids were being told you can't go to school unless you get the jab. However, we're learning about the side effects of these jabs, especially on kids. Uh, I lost—I had a friend of mine who lost his grandson at the age of 10, and that was just yep. last year. Uh, we're finding that children that have had no history, no indication of any heart problems, suddenly dying from heart conditions uh, right after they've had the jab. We're learning about men and women, Young, productive years suddenly becoming sterile yep. because of the jab. Now, why would you give this to children that are pre only to prevent future generations from these very same segment of children? And you center in that 40% of the kids that are not taking the jab are black and are being denied education which is another double whammy. So yep. you're going to have uneducated. Now, wait a minute. Let's throw into the pot that at one point, our government did experimentation on people of color right. and That's had right. them sterilized uh, because right. they were black. Our own government exactly. did the very same thing that Hitler was doing in Germany to the Jews and other non Aryans. Yeah, exactly. you, you, you exactly. take the, so wait a minute! History is repeating itself once again under the guise of a COVID vaccine mandate. And every time I see a commercial up on Newsmax for the COVID vaccine, I want to scream. I love the t- the, the, the news station, but I hate the heck they have them as a sponsor.
6: Yeah. So here, here's 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 where we are. Uh, humanity has been uh, really uh, uh, provided a bill of goods. Uh, and and none of it really panned out with the COVID vaccine. Whether you took it or not, I'm not going to debate that. That's fine. So a lot of people took it, and they have great response from it. But the reality is there's a lot, a whole lot of people. There's a real travesty health-wise for uh, populations around the world. Um, And there's people just dropping dead. You know, now it's an acceptable term to say, well, uh, this person died of un- unknown causes or uh, this this person died of uh, uh, normal, you know, just normal, you know, normal causes at 23. I mean, you know, so we have now people that are literally dropping dead um, around the world because of multiple jabs and uh, they don't know how to characterize it. Um, Uh, Because they don't want to characterize it as a vaccine outcome or whatever, whatever. So um, it's especially troubling for children. Now, here's the deal that we have with children. Now, children had, before any of the vaccines were were invented, they had 99.99-something percent uh, recovery rate from COVID. Now, would they have symptoms? Yes. Would they... You know, would they go through the whole cycle? Yes. Is there a possibility they could have gotten grandma or mom sick or somebody else sick in the house? Yes, that's a possible. But the child itself was almost 100 percent immune from COVID as far as having a death consequence. There was there was a very very few around the world. And then now we're saying, look, um, even now we are on the other side of COVID. Most of our elderly have been immunized and all of this stuff. Uh, we're saying, no, uh, children, you cannot go to school. We will not let you on our school grounds unless you have the jab. And this is cruel and especially cruel for the black community that's vaccine hesitant, which, as you mentioned, uh, we have good reason to be vaccine he- hesitant. I mean, uh, over 60,000 women, mostly black, were sterilized uh, under the guise of a vaccine in the, in the, all the way up until the 1970s. Um, over 600 black men were given syphilis in an experiment with the Tuskegee experiments and, and, and uh, during the same time as well. So, um, and so we have a reason to kind of be suspicious and be hesitant. And now we have parents that are exercising good parenting by saying, look, we've seen the statistics. We've seen what's happening with these children dropping dead. We've seen these children with blood clots. Um, we want to be good parents and be cautious about encouraging or forcing our child to get any vaccination as you know, COVID-19 vaccination. And, and that's good parenting. That should be rewarded. But yet they're saying, no, your kid can't participate in, uh, you know, on campus or off campus learning. Your kid is just excommunicated from the school system. And how is that right? Um, So, you know, this needs to be addressed. It's happening both in uh, D.C. and in uh, New Orleans. And uh, this is a real travesty, and, and the communities need to speak up and make sure that these children have an opportunity to learn. And we've already, They've already been set approximately a year and a half to two years. Uh, there's been already analysis done that says all children have been set back um, multiple years as a result of COVID. So we can't continue to do this. We, we have to allow these kids to learn, and uh, so we need to do better about this.
0: Well, you also wrote another great article about racial equity. Uh, You went around in Seattle, cancels the annual Halloween costume because it marginalizes students of color. But then you pull out Paul Harvey. Now, I have to do this to you. I really have to do this to you. And you turn around and taking Paul Harvey's tack, you visualize how he would say it today. And it would go, if I were the devil. I'd make sure to deprive children of any innocence as early as possible by exposing them to sex and perversions via educational systems, school, classroom teaching. Indeed, encouraging children to engage in sexual experimentation and vulnerability to perversions that will last their lifetime. Was that a good pull, Harvey?
1: <laughs> Very good. Wow, Ed. Oh, wow, that's a <laughs> wonderful.
6: That is very, very good. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so what I did is, is I took a look at, you know, Paul Harvey. He has, you know, such wit, humor, and, and all of that. His If I Were the Devil uh, broadcast is just legendary. And so I wanted to take a take off of that because I think if you look at what's happening with our children today, and you you got to wrap, to wrap your mind around it, you know, the only way that made sense for me is, if I were the devil, this is exactly what I would be doing. I would confuse children as early as possible. I would confuse their parents to go along with their children as early as possible. I would uh, make sure that I use all the instrumentation within these school systems to pervert them, to confuse them, to um, confuse them about their gender. And, and then ultimately this will make that child what I call God-resistant, quote-unquote. Uh, because ultimately yep. that child will begin to believe that there cannot be a God, if um, or, or certainly a God that loves me if they made me in the wrong body, or my friend in the wrong body. There
0: cannot be a God. Now you got me. Now you got me, because now I have to do the next one. I have to, because yeah, you got me right there, because yeah. that's what I was leading into it. <laughs> if I. Yeah. Go ahead, devil, go ahead. I, I would confuse children about their God-given biological sex by affirmatively teaching children gender is a personal choice, as opposed to God-ordained, with over 100 plus gender choices to ferment their confusion and rebellion against God's natural order and nature. <laughs> I can't resist. I so enjoyed practicing that Wonderful. last night.
2: <laughs> I love it. That is wonderful. <laughs> yeah, that's
6: great. Wow, I love it. I love it. But yeah, and so and so if, if people begin to see things in context as to what's happening, it'll you know it won't solve the problem, but it'll help you as an individual sort of understand what's going on, so you can develop your own um, you know your own way to sort of interdict some of the things that are happening within your family or your household, your kids or grandkids, and uh, you can come up with some form of, you know, intervention to really help in this time of just craziness. What's happening is absolutely insane right now. And uh, so I know a lot of parents are are frustrated. A lot of communities are frustrated because they don't really know what to do. Uh, I would encourage you to just go to our website, uh, everyblm.com, and uh, you can contact us and we we go out around the country we do anti-crt trainings um, and we do uh social justice versus biblical justice type training we do all kinds of additional things we have uh, we do anti-racist uh, you know real reconciliation type uh, trainings and workshops as well that we're just launching and so we'd love to hear from uh, people about these things because right now things are just so out of control and uh, a lot of people just don't have answers. They just want some kind of semblance of, of reality and rationality so they can figure out what to do with themselves and their families.
0: So, Well, yeah, on, on the show description, I have a, a link to your name, which would bring you over to the book, as well as to Every Black Life Matters uh, uh, website that you have. Uh, so they can see what you're doing. And uh, maybe I ought to talk to you a little off off the air about getting you to come here to South Carolina uh, where I am and uh, maybe do a little something with us here with my tea party.
6: Like my meeting is Monday. <laughs> oh, yeah. Love to do that. Love to do that. Just, just say the word. I'll be there. We'll have some great times together. We'll spend a full day and go through some of this stuff, and I'm sure everybody would be encouraged, enlightened, enthused, even though we're dealing with some really uh, chaotic craziness. Uh, at the end of the day, knowledge is power. So I just want to make sure everybody is at least knowledgeable about what's happening so you can begin to take the power back.
0: Exactly. And that's what we're finding because without the education system, without the proper news outlets, and this is one of the things that uh, we we're finding in today's electronic age, um uh, People are so quick to get their news from either Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or TikTok instead of going to an actual, true, valid news source. All right, fine. If you're going to turn on MSNBC or the Communist News Network, CNN, but then in the alternative, go to the other side, to One American News, to Newsmax. Yeah, even Fox, even though they're going swinging left. Um, Do a little research, but people don't want to take the time to do it. If they can't get it in that 10-second blurb, they're not going to pay attention. Hence, we've got the situation we have today. We have a woke society. How dare you trigger me, and yet you're not allowed to talk. I can talk as much as I, I want, but you can't. You can't. You can't respond. You can't react. You have to accept what I say as fact. I am the universe, and you're outside it. And that's the attitude today. Exactly.
6: Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And, but the book "Woke Up" is going to help you to put all the pieces together to understand what's really happening, to come up with the right way to begin to combat this stuff, and to help spread the real truth about where all of this comes from. And um, so, I, I, you know, I, I'd like to build a whole generation of. of 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 people who at least understand what's really happening as opposed to just going in with the media narrative, which is all demonic and and misleading.
0: But it's easy to follow the crowd. And that's what the CRT and the wokeness group want. They want you to follow the crowd because that's the easy way. You don't have to think. You just do what they tell you to do. To buck the trend takes courage and intellect. And faith.
6: Yes, exactly, exactly. And that's what we need now. We're, we're in such desperate shape right now. That's what everybody needs to, uh, you know, their personal resolve. They need to up that so they can join the join the the you know the march towards faithfulness, righteousness, justice, again, and unity. And so, but the only way we're going to do that is to get informed, get educated, and to go through this together.
3: Well, can I ask
6: something?
2: I think okay. one of the
3: one of the crucial things we face today is the destruction of the the core family. You know, we we have um, men that's not in the home. We have a lot of them in prison. We have a lot of parents on drugs, and their grandparents trying to raise these kids, and they can't keep up with them, especially the technology part. So we do that's have right. a crisis, I believe, in in, in the family unit. And I don't think this just happened. I think it was by design. And um, I think we have to start trying to get people back um, towards um, um, spirituality. You know, I mean, every church I go to today, they, there's less and less young people there. I mean, it's not just Republican, you know, organizations where we don't have young people. The churches are, are starting to have empty pews um, of young people. So
6: we've got to do something about that. Yeah, that's that's a great well, the- point. There is no doubt about there is an absolute attack on the nuclear family, on the church, um, and we've been slow to respond. Um, now is the time where we have to really get awakened. We have to get woked up about what's happening so we can begin to properly intervene in our own personal lives and in our community so we can make the difference. Now is not the time to be, continue to be asleep and uh, fall in with culture uh, now is the time to get woke up so yeah
0: well this is where we have to turn around to our churches and say hey listen wake up and get out there in the community now i'm fortunate to i belong to one that does exactly that and they do the outreach they go out into the, the other communities and they knock on doors I mean, we provide supplies for kids to go to school with you know backpacks note uh books uh pencils crayons, whatever they need We knock door to door you need help we're here uh that has to be that outreach, and this is what we yeah. need to have the churches to step up and take take back their role in our society we've abrog- we've actually abrogated all of our responsibilities to government, and we should not be doing that. Let's get back to personal responsibilities and self-sufficiency and faith.
6: Absolutely. Absolutely. We're on the exact same page. Churches, I think, can really take more of a role. A lot of our churches are also woke. They've fallen in with a demonic culture. Uh, A lot of the pastors won't admit it or may not see it or may not perceive how they're uh, really acquiescing and appeasing the woke mobs. Uh, But essentially, I'd say half, uh, could be more, but I'd say at least half of the the quote-unquote Christian churches in America have uh, really acquiesced and appeased and bowed to culture as opposed to continually standing based upon a biblical standard. Um, So I think that... That's really the one of the biggest problems that we have right now. The church has not been fully representing the gospel as the church, and then therefore culture and society has sort of bowed to the vacuum that's created because the church has not encouraged civic engagement at all. It's uh, basically acquiesced and appeased culture in so many other ways that now, you know, it's just almost like every man is uh, just thinking for himself and doing what they want to do and, and not really, um, you know, taking uh, the, the Bible seriously in all these other areas.
0: Well, you know, uh, you have to. People have to do like what my my late husband and I did when we went to one. We weren't happy with what they were doing. We finally landed in one that is conservative and does stand by its principle. Matter of fact, we were part of that lawsuit here in South Carolina that broke apart from the Episcopal Church because they went way woke, way left. And we said, no, Mm -hmm. you're not following biblical principles. This is what we believe. Um, It went so far that one of our pastors uh, had criticized the uh, Supreme Court ruling on same-sex marriage. And he at that pulpit, that Sunday, he preached against it. Do you know one of the parishioners made a complaint, and the following Sunday, he apologized? And a lot of us got upset with him over that. You should never apologize wow. for speaking the truth. Is, but wow. We, we did win loose lawsuit, but eight churches lost their property in the process. And they're replanting themselves now with help. I mean, just last weekend was the first weekend they were not holding services in their their original properties because the Episcopal Church won them over. But in the end, we won our lawsuit. We separated. We kept, our church kept, and our church goes back to 1712. <clears throat> so imagine trying to take that. Wow. Uh, but you need to find a congregation that will stand by those principles and work with them and help them. And that's the important Absolutely. part because it, they're not going to survive unless we give them the support they need and let them know they're on the right path and help them stay on the right path.
6: Absolutely. Absolutely. So that is the real key. Um, we, uh, every black life matters. Uh, again, every BLM.com. We're committed to doing all we can to help churches pastors, parishioners, uh, community leaders, and, and uh, more specifically, parents as well, um, to, to really get, get through this season of, of real chaos uh, that's happening at every level. And um, the only way we can do that is to make sure that everybody's fully aware of what's happening, fully educated on the uh, sort of the demonic schemes that are around and about us, and trying to get us uh, entrapped in, and uh, give them the capacity then to start to think differently, act differently, um, lobby differently, vote differently. Uh, we need we need every all hands on deck right now. I mean, uh, one of the things that President Trump, and I, uh, this is only one that I could think of right off top that he got wrong absolutely wrong his heart was in the right place and we all applauded when he made this statement but now in hindsight unfortunately he got it wrong and that was this he said america will never be a socialist country um unfortunately it's not his fault but unfortunately we have gone past socialism i believe we're full-blown marxism now with the uh with the woke FBI and CIA and all of the uh, jackbooted thugs uh, surrounding the, the Capitol. Um, I, I, I believe that we're, we're, we're full-blown Marxists and headed quickly to uh, communists. And so it's unfortunate to see uh, this country lose it so quickly in only, what, 18, 20, 22 months. Uh, but it's been a radical change, and it's still not too late. We could turn it back, but we can't oh, yeah. let this continue on for much longer.
0: No, and it has to be a ballot box revolution coming up in less than a month. It? When? A little over a month, a little over a month. We have it coming up in November, and this midterm election is going to be the most pivotal in our nation. And we can't yes. sit back, because once, once we get past this this next election and we, we have to get as many people out to vote if possible but once we get past this election we can't let up and that's what we we do as conservatives all right we won this battle no we haven't won the war once we win the right. battle we sit back on our haunches we say all right we, I, we, we put the train back on the tracks no it's not back on the tracks completely yet you're still in danger you've got to keep on stoking that engine and we've got to keep on going. So as soon as we win this one, work on the next one and work on the next one. Because that's what the Democrats do. That's what the socialists do. That's what the liberal left does. That's what the woke society does. They don't let up. That's right. The second you let up, that's right. the second they see that chink in the armor, boom. It's not like a little pry bar. It is a sledgehammer. They're going to slam it wide open. And that's what they're doing Absolutely. now.
2: Absolutely.
6: Yep. Yep. Exactly right. Exactly right. So we've we've got to uh, we've got a major fight uh, right now, and uh, as you've said, well ahead of us, and it means that we cannot let up. We unfortunately we have a lot of representatives and senators who are you know spineless, mealy mouthed half steppers, goose steppers to a McConnell. lot of degree. Oh,
2: oh did I say uh,
6: that? did yeah. I say his name? Oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did you say me. that out loud. Uh, yeah, I think I just heard him. Yeah, yeah,
2: that's the one.
6: Um, and, and unfortunately, uh, we need more people that are much more aggressive on on really standing for, you know, for conservative values and for America and its founding and its traditions uh, than what you have with McConnell and McCarthy. These guys are not the ones. They're not the ones that are going to help us in this. We need better rep- representatives, better senators, leaders. And so hopefully, as you've said, this uh, this election we, we get new leadership and we could start to turn the ship again. But I believe that if we don't perform this, this November, um, I I think it's just too late. I, I, I think that we'll be too far down this path. They've already said, uh, the the Democrats have said, that they, they are definitely going to push to um, do away with the, um, uh, uh, what do you call, it? the filibuster. So uh, they are going to absolutely add more to the Supreme Court, completely eviscerate and undercut any type of civil society that was imagined by our, by our founding fathers and our forefathers. So this is it. I mean, we, we got one shot to try to write it and correct uh, what happened uh, and start to do better in our... Uh, election systems and the various uh, systems that audit the elections, uh, but we cannot do it until we get some more people, the right people in place, and that's got to happen in the next month or so.
0: Well, we have to have more people elected like Governor Abbott or Governor DeSantis. Uh, DeSantis, love it, sending the, the plane load up to uh, Martha's Vineyard. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> that didn't go over too yeah. well. That did not go over too well. Well, Kevin, gonna have to have you back on. And thank you for letting me do the Paul Harvey invitation female style. Oh, <laughs> no, was Paul wonderful. Harvey did not become yeah. a transgender, folks. <laughs> uh, was wonderful. That's good. It's that
6: good. Really appreciate that. And please uh, get the book "Woke Up: Finally Laying an Axe to the Taproot of White Supremacy and Racism in America." It is hot. I mean, it is everything you need to really fight this fight um and then and after you after you read that have me back on love to to chop it up with you some real just gent- well you
0: have to have you have to have jackie send me an autographed copy all we'll right. do, do it.
1: that okay all right. we'll do it god
0: bless take care all right Thanks. check him out at every black lives matter uh eblm Take it out kevin mcgarry all right we got our next victim our favorite of of the Twice a month, I want to welcome him back on board. Welcome aboard, Mark. How are you doing? Mark Tapscott of the Epic Times, as well as founder of Hill Faith. Good afternoon, Mark.
7: Hey, Curtis. How are you guys doing? All right. Oh,
0: we're having fun. We're having fun. Uh, great That's guests, good. great topics, and holy cow. I don't even know where to start with you because, you know, <laughs> it used to be, when you first started coming on, we'd have you on, and I have maybe two or three things to talk with you about. Uh, but now, with everything that's going on with this administration, you can't stop at two or three. You've got nine, ten, eleven different things to talk about. And it's know, hard to pick which one to start with.
7: Holy well, God. That's, Holy part, that's part of their strategy, you know, to keep keep so many balls up in the air that uh, it's impossible to keep track of all of them.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I'd say they got a lot of balls. Well,
3: that's what the Obama administration did. The Obama administration kept coming up with crisis after crisis. It was one every other week. You couldn't keep up
7: with
0: them. Exactly.
7: Never let a crisis go to waste.
0: But now (laughs) it's like every day. And under the Obama administration, they would time it for Friday afternoon, knowing it would hit the weekend news cycle and all the major news outlets on the weekend because you watch you know good morning america whatever whatever they are on the weekends i don't even remember i stopped watching them like many yeah. other conservatives we stopped watching uh um, that's a problem i think uh but yeah. now it you hit you every day all day
7: yeah that's uh that's the world we live in today
0: mm. well Let's go with the problem number one, the increase of the IRS. Uh, and, Joni, Erse, you and I talked about this before, sent a letter to the Treasury uh, Inspector General for Tax Administration um, asking about the IRS employees that had not paid their taxes or had them overdue. Uh, she finally got a response. I think, I think they're feeling the heat now. There's being a backlash from our side. And uh, the left is not all that comfortable about that. What's going on with uh, Joni Ernst and the IRS here?
7: Well, it's, it's, it's important for listeners to understand that what we're talking about here are employees, federal government employees working in the federal tax agency, the IRS, which collects money from all of us and penalizes us when we don't pay it on time or don't pay enough or don't pay it at all, and yet uh, three years ago the uh, inspector general that covers the IRS found that uh, more than 1,000, the number was 1,250 if I recall correctly, IRS employees in the previous couple of years uh, were either late paying their federal taxes or had not paid it at all. And of course, that raises the obvious question: Wait a minute, if the tax um, system is uh, allowing the people who run the tax system not to pay their taxes, something is wrong here. Um, and the, the the IG put that study out uh, a couple of years ago, and Ernst very um, seriously suggested. Uh, last month, why don't you update that study now and tell us what the IRS has done to remedy the problem uh, since you published your study two years ago, or your audit two years ago? And I, frankly, I was surprised that the uh, inspector general, uh, a gentleman named J. Russell George, um, responded quite quickly within a couple of days and said, you know, You're right, we're going to do that. We're going to re-review it and see where things stand. So that's good news because um, I think generally speaking, and I've covered the inspectors general for longer than I care to remember, I think J. Russell George is, is one of the good ones, and if there is any evidence of a problem that's still there, and I'll be amazed if there's not such evidence, uh, he will report it, and then it will be up to Congress to do something about it.
0: Does this sound like we're starting to take control of our government once again, just a little bit at a time? Well, um,
7: uh, not just yet. Um, you know, the election still has to happen, and voters have got to make it clear that they want some changes. Uh, and I suspect that if you could, you know, do a poll of all the people who are actually going to vote uh, come November and ask them, do you think the Internal Revenue Service ought to have 87,000 more agents to harass the rest of us? The vast majority of them would say, no, I can think of a lot of things that are more important that ought to be uh, taken care of with tax dollars.
0: You know, you know, one know, it, thing they funny. could do,
7: and and one of the it's things that. that they could do, um, and I'm not trying to change the subject on you here, but one thing they could do instead of hiring 87,000 new IRS agents, they could send millions of dollars of help to New York and Chicago and now Martha's Vineyard to help them take care of being sanctuary cities as they are, to help them take care of those couple of busloads of immigrants that came in.
0: Well, I I watched. I know, I know. I watched the uh, interview that someone had done with the woman that ran the shelter up at Martha's Vineyard, and she did not come across in a very good light, did she? (laughs) It's like, oh, we we don't have the facility. You run a homeless shelter on Martha's Vineyard, and we sent a plane load of homeless up there to you. And, oh, what do you mean, that you don't have homeless on Martha's Vineyard, but you run a shelter? So what are you doing with that money, lady? <laughs> Did you just yeah. buy a new yacht or something?
7: <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, I have to say,
7: and I have to say that I think Governor Abbott in Texas um, and now Governor DeSantis in Florida, uh, and I think also Governor Ducey in Arizona, um, I, I think that was a – very smart move to start putting those immigrants uh, who just, you know, walked over the border, contrary to the White House press secretary, um, putting them on buses and sending them to sanctuary cities. I mean, New York and Chicago, for example, have long boasted of being sanctuary cities and invited illegal immigrants to come to New York City and Chicago. Same thing Los Angeles and San Francisco. Um, and what happens when Abbott, Ducey, and DeSantis actually send those immigrants on the buses up to those cities? It exposes the hypocrisy uh, of the uh, folks like uh, the mayor of New York, uh, Eric Adams. Um, you know, he says, "Wait a minute, don't don't send us your problem." Well, you are a sanctuary city, so you're an obvious place to send them, a logical place to send them. So quit complaining and and do what you said you were going to do as a sanctuary city. It's pretty
0: know, I, I, I don't know what, I don't know why Martha Vinny is is complaining. They just got a plane load of cheap labor, right? Who's going to run their kitchens and the catering services or the cleaning services or the lawn services, right? You just got a whole I, plane load of cheap labor. I I heard I'm sorry, somebody this, remark sarcasm there.
7: Yeah. I heard somebody remark earlier today that um, there had been a police report filed in the Martha's Vineyard Police Department. Uh, A resident there had seen an individual of apparent Hispanic origin who was not carrying a uh, weed eater or riding on a lawnmower, and they were concerned that they were up to no good.
0: (laughs) You know, they turn around and call us fascists bigots racist whatever they was any name in the book and yet yep. the pot is calling the kettle black you know yep. they are worse than even even on my bad day I could even be and yep. I, everyone has their little picadillos everyone has yep. a personal preference whether you like chocolate ice cream over a strawberry <laughs> I, everyone has a perf- personal preference I like to be around certain type of people and not a, it doesn't make you a, ra- a racist but when you turn around and call the cops on someone who happens to be Hispanic-looking walking down the street. That's racist. Yeah. Well, and you're uh, the one um, that they're telling that we're the bad people. I don't think so. Yeah.
7: DWH accusations of DWH are just as racist as you know accusations of driving while Oriental or driving while Black. Uh, racism is racism.
0: And it doesn't matter what skin color you are. You can be just as racist as any other person in the world. Everyone yeah. has the potential. Whether or not you act on it, you live up to it, or you, you discard it, That that is your personal choice. And then you have to live yeah. by it. But yeah. but it was a uh, it was a good move I'm sorry, I'm uh, by to them to... It. A... <laughs> it's easy to do. <laughs> it's easy to do. Now, listen... Uh, We were talking about the IRS and tax and tax cheats and everything else, but what is this that uh, Senator Chuck Grassley uncovered um, from the Department of Treasury and uh, the IRS? He asked them to explain about highly confidential tax return data being leaked on hundreds of Americans by this new website, ProPublica? Yeah, now they're using Publica, publica as in published as in the writer from the Colonial Times or are they trying to imitate a conservative news site and then blame everything on us or what's going on here? I'm not understanding. No. No. This.
7: no pro, I'm I'm very familiar with ProPublica. I have I have some friends that work over there, some colleagues. Uh and it is generally speaking a very legitimate news investigative news operation. Uh and What happened and what Grassley is talking about, he gave a floor speech on this on Monday, Um, a year ago, somehow, somebody, uh, presumably somebody within the IRS or somebody outside of it who was able to hack into the IRS uh, computer system, um, obtained the confidential tax return information, tax returns, for hundreds and hundreds of uh, upper-income individuals and went to ProPublica and said, hey, you know, we've got all these tax returns of all these famous rich guys. Would you like to have them? And, of course, ProPublica, being a news organization, said absolutely, and they began going through those returns, and they've been doing reporting based on those returns ever since. Um you know i I can quibble with ProPublica about the fact that they seem to be looking only at the tax returns for people who identify as conservatives, but that's a different issue. The issue that is really important here and that Grassley is talking about is it is a federal crime. A lot of people have gone to jail uh, over the years for um, mishandling confidential tax returns, and not just of of upper income people, but of all of us. All of us, when we file a tax return, it's confidential, and it's not supposed to go anywhere uh, or be viewed by somebody who is not authorized to do so. But it's pretty clear that there was either a major leak or the IRS system was hacked, and either way, that raises a question about confidentiality and the trustworthiness Of the IRS system itself and quite possibly people working at the IRS and Grassley wants to know wait a minute we know this happened because ProPublica has been publishing these stories for more than a year um, and yet nobody involved with trying to figure out how it happened the leak or or the hack has said a word and he challenged the Secretary of Treasury Janet Yellen Uh, The guy who heads the IRS, Charles Redding, uh, and the Department of Justice, the Attorney General, uh, Merrick Garland, what's going on? Tell us what's going on. And I wrote a story about um, um, Grassley's speech and his challenge, and I called the Secretary of the Treasury, and I called the IRS, and I called uh, the Department of Justice, and none of them would talk about it. So... You know, the presumption is if you don't want to talk about something, there's got to be a reason you don't want to talk about it. Maybe it's legitimate. Maybe it's not. The point is Americans need to know what's going on.
0: You wrote about uh, one of the articles that appeared on September 6th titled How a Billionaire's Attack Philip – I can't even pronounce the word. So why can't I pronounce this word? Um, money-giving, secretly funded climate denialism and right-wing causes. Um, So, again, I I was just curious, you know, are they neutral or are they more liberal-leaning than uh, they put themselves out to be?
7: Well, I I think it's... It's pretty clear that they they lean to the left, and their story selection therefore reflects that. And yes, that's bias. Um, but I have I as I said, they have published some really solid journalism over the years, um, and it's important for people to remember, it's not it is illegal for somebody to give a confidential tax document to somebody else who is not authorized to have it but it's not illegal for a member of the press to receive it and then report on it because it's a public document excuse me it's a Mm. government document
0: yeah it that's scary because then also questions whether or not there's foreign influence in the releasing of these documents what is the purpose of it yeah and if 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 it's someone like China or Russia yeah exactly
7: if, if it's somebody like China or Russia, if they have been able to hack into the IRS's computer system, that frankly raises some real questions about the security, the digital security of, of every government computer in, the, in Washington, D.C., and that's that is something to worry about.
0: Now, um, I grew up at a time where Title IX was put into place, and it was to help young women like myself, you know, to succeed in areas that were denied because of funding. And basically Mm -hmm. Title IX gave us an equal playing field. But they want to take that away from us because of they want to replace the biological definition of sex with gender identity. But you can't change the actual physical facts. Of the difference between the biology of a male versus a female and they want to blur the lines with wokeness and then reverse decades of hard work we had I tell
7: you I am of all the issues that our country faces today and there are some of them that you wonder why does this even have to be discussed? <laughs> guys are guys and women are women, you know? But what, what the Biden administration is doing, Title IX was passed in 1972. Its purpose mm-hmm. was very clear. Um, at that time in public education, um, money went for boys' sports, football, baseball, etc., but very rarely was it spent on girls' sports. And Title IX said, you know, you've got to be fair about this and and, and fund them more or less equally. And that indeed created, uh, you know, countless opportunities for young girls uh, to learn the great things, the great life lessons that athletics can provide. Um, you know, about... Setting a goal, sticking with it, um, believing in yourself and your teammates, and so forth and so on. Um, but beginning a couple of years ago, as we all know, all of a sudden these folks that say they identify with the sex, that the biological sex that they're not physically, and and the government comes along and says, well, yes, he's biologically a male. And, yes, he's 50 pounds heavier, and, yes, he's got much better muscle tone, and, yes, he's faster, and, yes, he is uh, all the impossible stronger. for a 110-pound yeah. guy to to bring down. Uh, but you've got to let him play against girls if he identifies as a girl. And that's that is absurd because what it does, among other things, is it denies women the opportunity of competing against other women and it subjects them to the very real possibility uh, of physical injury because, you know, let's face it, if you're uh, running into a guy that weighs twice as much as you do, you're going to get hurt. Oh, yeah. People in government that are pushing this, they don't care about that.
0: No, and it's all for the wokeness, but yet the consequences of what they're doing. And if people look back at society the way it was pre-1970s and 60s, uh, the woman was someone who would be subservient to the man she would expect to graduate school, get married, stay home, raise the kids. It was... It was actually when you had the Catherine Hepburns and so forth coming out in movies showing that a woman can be equal to a man. That was was revolutionary, very revolutionary. Mm -hmm. But it actually did not start happening until after the late 60s and 70s where now Title IX was put in place to give us a chance to realize that we are on equal footing with everyone else in society. And yet that's going to be thrown right back So now women will not be able to learn how to compete as a teammate or compete equally in society or in the workplace or anywhere else in a fair playing field. And that's all we ask, a fair playing field. That's taken away from us, and we are now being told you can't succeed because we're going to have a gender bender take your spot. Oh, by the way, he never had his, his anatomy altered, even though he says he's a she. You must call her a she, otherwise we will penalize you also. yeah. So we're going to yeah. cow the female back into the domestic role, back in the house, and all you do is wait hand and foot on your spouse and your family. And that's what they're yeah. doing to us.
7: Yeah, and you've just put your finger on what this is really about. You must call him a she if he identifies as a she. And if you don't, you're going to lose your job and you may lose other things as well. And that's already happening in our society. There are a number of teachers in the public school system across this country right now who declined to use the preferred pronoun, it's called, uh, of a student and they've now found themselves um, fired their jobs because they wouldn't do that. Um, that's the real point. It increases the control that people in government have over the rest of us. And that's what they want. They want more control over us.
0: Well, now I have a Mark. woman in the chat room who, uh, hang on a second, Curtis, I had someone in the chat room who properly pointed out, and I was proud to interview her just before she passed away, Phyllis Schaffley. Um, yeah. She per- She opposed the Equal Right Amendment, the ERA, and when I spoke with her and I understood exactly everything that was going on, and I agreed with her 100 percent, later on, about a couple of months after she passed, my state senator was trying to help pass the ERA here in South Carolina, and he's highly libertarian conservative. Uh, He he waffles between libertarian conservative, and he and I went into a complete debate back and forth that took us almost a week. And finally, he understood the problem. When you redefine gender as not biological, but psychological, then you throw everything out the window. So now gender and sex, well, sex could be a pedophile. Sex could be uh, someone who's into bestiality. That's sex, but that's what the ERA was originally written to identify sex, but it meant male, female not the right. other 100-plus different flavors. And that is what our society has now rewritten the dictionary. They've redefined the words. So gender and sex does not mean biological you're born. It means what you feel. So anything yeah, you feel exactly. is now completely legal, and they've opened up the whole criminal code <laughs> to illegal acts that are now legal under the new definition of sex.
7: Yes. That's that's exactly it. And one of the first things that goes out the window when you redefine um sex and gender is traditional marriage. You know, if it's how you identify today, if that's the key thing, then hey, you know, there's no reason why you can't say I identify as a guy who needs to marry six women. <laughs> Probably crazy, but <laughs> You can identify that way, you know, and polygamy we will see now in coming months, uh, a new effort uh, from some places to legalize polygamy.
0: Hmm. I'm going to have to put some more bedrooms in my house. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Go ahead, Curtis.
3: Yeah, I, I often wonder how all this came about, um, this agenda with the left. The perversion of our, our culture and our our um, political system and I, I always arrive at the same um, spot in time and that's um, from these um, people who were originally in the civil rights movements and the um, anti-war um, movement of the 60s and 70s and most of them have went into um, politics and they carry with them, you know, everything leftist that they, they had going for them back then. And I think they just slowly worked their way into the system until they, you know, took control over it. Well, um, what are your thoughts yeah. on that?
7: Well, I'll tell you, Curtis, I think you're, you're, um, uh, you're very accurate in your assessment and it's even, it goes back even further than the sixties, um, But, you know, I went to college in the late 60s and the early 70s, and the liberal, they were all liberal even then, graduate assistants, um, they're the ones running the university system now. And, boy, when they got power to start running the the, uh, campuses, their their extreme leftism really began to be seen. Um, And from there, you know, we have the same thing. The same process in the nonprofit community. And we have a very similar process uh, in the uh, Fortune 500 corporate communities where wokeism is becoming the, the orthodoxy. And, you know, it's reflected in our politics. And until people, you know, most uh, people wake up to the fact that It all – generally what they propose, one way or the other, always comes down to giving them more power and us less freedom. Um, Mm -hmm. We've got to recognize that fact and then start voting accordingly.
0: Well, not only that, a lot of these proposals they have, especially with Title IX here, they tie it to federal funding. So they handcuff you. So unless you're willing to give up that federal funding and say, "Hey, you know, I'm going to just operate independently," and many organizations can't do that; they can't afford to do right. that. How many school systems will they cow? How many businesses will they cow? How many other organizations will they cow by dangling that carrot before them and saying, "You go against us, then we'll get pulling the federal funding." That's yeah,
2: yeah,
0: what, <laughs> the what the carrot, Clinton the did the with the community, yeah. Clinton did that beautifully with community policing with the police departments. How better for yep. the federal government to control what your local police department will do or sheriff's department will do by threatening to pull that federal funding? You tie it no. to the dollars, and you tie the person. You handcuff them. You actually enslave yep. them.
7: Well, if you, if you went back in the congressional record to the debates about the New Deal in Congress – You will see that many, many Republicans, and not a few Democrats as well at the time, warned if you start giving massive amounts of federal aid to local and state governments and and agencies, you're inviting the federal government to then control them. And of course, the Liberal Democrats said, "No, no, no, that's not going to happen. We just want to be able to do some good things." Well, here we are later, and we see it did happen.
0: Well, absolutely. Well, Mark, people can find you over at the Epic Times, where you do a lot of great work. And I thank, thank you. you. And we'll be speaking with you again in two weeks, and well, tell now, you what, why hey, I Annie, think. Annie, yes.
7: You didn't yes. say it. The Epoch Times.
0: (laughs) You also sign off with that. Uh, The Epoch Times. go to the link on the show page. (laughs) The Epoch Times that I get in the mailbox and in my inbox. God bless. We'll talk to you in two weeks, Mark. All right. Take care. Take care.
2: care. All right. Mark
0: Tapscott. Check them out. There's a link on the show page. Just click on it and get the newspaper that is the best in the world. Let's bring on another organization that is the best in the world from the Heritage Foundation. We want to welcome for the first time Jason Bedrick. Good afternoon, Jason. How are you today? You are a research fellow at Heritage Center for Education Policy. And that was one of the things we were just talking about with Mark Tapscott.
5: Uh, Good afternoon. Yes, thank you so much for having me on the program.
0: Our pleasure, our pleasure. Man, this show has been flying like unbelievably fast. Uh, You were also the co-editor and author in two books, including Education Freedom, uh, Remembering Andrew Colson, Debating His Ideas in Religious Liberty and Education, Um, a case study of Yeshiva versus New York. Now, I was catching something new was going on yesterday with the yeshiva in New York, in New York State. Uh, Can you fill me in? Because I didn't catch the whole thing. Um, New York State, as I understand it, if you're chartered one way, they control what you do. But if you charter a different way, they can't touch you. And they're trying to have the yeshiva follow their woke path.
5: Uh, yeah, so uh, there are yeshivas which are generally uh, at the K-12 level. These are schools for Orthodox Jews. But then there is also a university which is known as Yeshiva University. It's in New York. Uh, it's a uh, it's a college just like any other. It uh, provides you know bachelor's degrees and other various degrees. Um, but just like you know Notre Dame is run by a group of Catholics, uh, this is a school that is run by a group of Orthodox Jews. And uh, there was a group of students that wanted to create an LGBTQ club on campus. Uh, and the school, uh, after a lot of discussion and consultation with the rabbis, decided that uh, although the students are of course, free to meet, uh, they would not recognize it uh, and they would not you know, fund it. And that went to the courts. The students sued, um, but... Uh, It is still going through the court system. Right now, a lower court judge has said that despite their religious status, uh, they're going to be considered a secular institution and therefore have to meet anti-discrimination statutes uh, that other religious institutions are exempt from, and they must recognize the student group.
0: You know, I thought it was crazy when there was a group of Muslims that – sued a Catholic university, I believe it was in Philadelphia, because there were signs of Jesus all over. Uh, there was too many religious symbols in a Catholic university being attended to by Muslims. Uh, this is reminiscent of that. Do you think there would be a precedent set between those two?
5: Uh, I'm not an attorney and I don't play one on TV, but I, I will say <laughs> that in this case, the, the yeshiva or on the radio, uh, the yeshiva university, uh, had turned down all sorts of other clubs, uh, including a, a club that was supposed to be about gambling. Uh, another one that was, uh, even though it was a, a Jewish fraternity, it was a fraternity and they turned that down. Uh, they have very strict rules there about what they do and do not, uh, accept, And that really should be up to private universities, especially religious universities. Uh, We have something called the Free Exercise Clause. Uh, It's not just the Free Belief Clause. Exercise means the ability to put your religion into action. And and the government shouldn't be uh, telling private institutions how they can and cannot practice their own religion.
0: Yeah. If anyone wants to know what the free exercise clause is, under the First Amendment, and I can probably recite it from heart, that Congress shall, Congress shall establish no religion, nor prevent the free exercise thereof. So meaning, I can stand on the street corner, and I can pontificate as much as I want, and no one should, should stop me. And yet they use various laws, such as nuisance laws, whatever, to say, you can't do that because you're disturbing the peace. And in other words, they're using loopholes the same way local governments do to stifle religious freedom.
5: Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, now, the they did have an emergency appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, which ultimately ruled five to four against it, but not on the merits. It was really only on technical grounds. They they said uh, to Yeshiva University, "Well, it looks like." You still uh, have the opportunity to go through the state system, the state court system, and if you don't refine, if you don't find the relief there that you're looking for, then come back to us. Um, that's what the majority said, uh, which included the three liberals plus Roberts, uh, Chief Justice Roberts, and uh, Justice Kavanaugh. Um, the four uh, more conservative members of the court were willing to grant relief right away, but I think the way that the decision came down on such technical grounds uh, and leaving the door open for further review seems to indicate that ultimately Yeshiva University will prevail.
0: Well, you know, one of the things you work with over in heritage are different things with the the education system. And there's a new education report card that you have up there. I had a little trouble trying to navigate it. Um, I wish it had all 50 states listed, but I'm sure... You're limited on how much data you can put up there. But I found it very interesting that my own state here, South Carolina, is sitting basically at a solid right in the middle, right around 23 out of 50. Uh, but people can go there and see where the state stands on various issues. Uh, but one of the things we have against us are is the teacher unions. And now something really uh, uh, you wrote about over on Heritage about the Teacher Unions Act antics in Ohio, where they went on strike. Now, the teacher unions is a pretty, pretty strong uh, political uh, force in our nation, Uh, but I think the pandemic has woken up a lot of parents to the problem they cause.
5: Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, You know, we are seeing uh, support for the unions at an all-time low and support for school choice at at an all-time high. Uh, parents with the pandemic uh, were in for a rude awakening. Um, you know, there was the initial shock, but at a certain point, parents said, "You know, okay, now we understand what's going on. We're ready to have our children return to in-person instruction," uh, only to find that their assigned school uh, was not going to be reopening because the teachers' unions were keeping uh, pushing to keep it closed, and uh, they found that the school system was more responsive to. Uh, the special interests, like the unions operating in the system than it was in many cases to parents uh, and so support for alternatives uh, To have the money follow the child uh, is at an all-time high uh, But yes, our report looks at education freedom in all 50 states. Uh, you can find it at heritage.org education report card Uh, If you scroll down just a little bit on the page, you'll see that there's a link to all state scores, so you will be able to see them. And and you're right, South Carolina comes right in the middle. Uh, It is uh, 23rd, but on the uh, school choice rank, it's a little lower. Uh, It's at uh, number 33, Uh, and that's because uh, with the exception of a program uh, for about 15% of kids in the state uh, who have special needs, Uh, South Carolina doesn't really have uh, an education choice program uh, that would allow families to choose a private school education uh, or even uh, to support homeschooling. Uh, If you look at the the number one state for education choice, Arizona, uh, just this year they expanded what's called an education savings account to all students. Uh, So with an education savings account or ESA, it's sort of like a health savings account. It's a, uh, you have a private bank account that you can use for a a limited but variety of services. Uh, So, for example, you can pay for private school tuition. You can also pay for tutoring, homeschool curricula, online learning, special needs therapy, and you can roll over unused funds from year to year. And it taps into 90% of what the state would have spent on your child had they attended a traditional public school so it really empowers families with the freedom and flexibility to customize their child's education
0: well i was just looking to see where we were standing with our our legislation uh for the education savings account and that's bill number 3976 and the lead sponsor happens to be my state representative um it's residing in the house ways and means committee uh it was introduced last year but it's been sitting there at the House Ways and Means uh, Committee. And uh, we'll just have to see, because I know they're going to be going on recess pretty soon. So we do have one sitting up there. It's just I'm not quite out of, out of committee just yet.
5: Yeah, and look, this has been the mantra nationwide. Fund students, not systems. Uh, really, our school system is created for children, not the other way around. Uh, there is no school that meets the needs of all the children who just happen to live nearby uh, in every other area of our lives. We have a, a wide variety of choices. Uh, education is, is one of the very few where you are assigned to a service based on the location of your home. Uh, and we really need to you know, come into the 21st century and have a system that uh, A, is more child-centric, Uh, and B, uh, where the locus of power is not with some elected politician or unelected bureaucrat, but is with families.
0: Well, you know, it's funny because Queen Kamala Mela, our vice president, as I call her, um, talks about when she was bussed. Now, I was in the first wave of bussing, so I know what that was about. My parents, when they moved to the town we moved into, um, specifically chose the location because of the school that was just three blocks away from our house. And we, I went to that school district for just two, two years before busing came into effect. And they sent me all the way across to a completely different school that by the time I got my younger brother and sister on the bus, and I did on mine, I would have to walk to school a mile and a half every day. So Queen Camilla Mello rode the bus, but because of the school busing, I had to walk. I got the bus home, but I just couldn't get going to school. And this is where the problem is, is that parents have had their choice taken away. With the birth of Fed Ed, it's no longer a local issue. It's now a federal issue. And we've got to get our states right back.
5: That's right, and so this is a part of the Education Freedom Report Card is to give uh, uh, families and citizens more information about what their states are doing on this issue, not just uh, when it comes to education choice, but also uh, transparency. You know, are, are families able to see what it is that their children are learning at school uh, with regards to regulatory freedom, right? Is, uh, is the state trying to micromanage what's going on in the schools or are they respecting the autonomy? of uh, private schools and and local school districts to operate as as they see fit Uh, and then we also look at uh, things like spending which you know fortunately is still mostly at the state and local level and not at the federal level Uh, we should keep it that way but uh, a lot of other rankings uh will just assume that spending is a proxy for quality so if you look at the national education association Uh, You know the teachers union uh, they rank states almost entirely based on how much money they're spending Uh, But if you have two states that have the same level of achievement and one is spending half as much to get that level of achievement That state should be ranked higher. Whereas everybody else ranks the other state higher um, Which doesn't make any sense you want efficiency you want the uh, taxpayer dollars to be used wisely and so our uh, return on investment metric actually does that. Uh, It rewards states that are good stewards of the taxpayers' money.
0: Which is why local elections are really, really important. Your local council, your local school board, extremely important because your local council or whatever you have there, or parish, whatever it is, um, they are the ones that fund the school district. And the ones who put the policy into place is the school board. And the school superintendent so that's why local is far more important than anything else and if you look at the tax dollars spent and not the tax dollars but the money spent to educate one child in a private school or a charter school compared to the public fed ed there's a big difference quality of education coming out of a private or a charter school or a religious school is higher far more superior than you have from fed ed so what happens with your local school board is extremely important and that's why politics is all local starts local correct yeah
5: absolutely and we need to keep it that way Uh, and really i mean the most local form of control uh, is not the school board it's the family uh, which is why we need to move in the direction of actually empowering families to make those decisions and and have the money follow the child rather than uh, just assigning them to a school based on where they live uh, and then having them go to the school board, uh, you know, if they don't like what's going on in the school. Uh, and, and frankly, look, those school boards are going to be a lot more responsive to families if they know that families have an exit option. Uh, if you're living in a community where families uh, are maybe lower income, uh, they can't afford to live in a school district that has a higher performing school or they couldn't afford to pay private school, the school board knows they have a captive audience. And uh, that means when parents come in with complaints, uh, they don't have a very strong incentive to listen to those families. This is why you've seen uh, parents uh, across the country going to their school boards, talking about the radical politicization of the classroom and uh, only to be shut down, trying to you know, read materials at the school board meeting that their daughter has been assigned, only to say, nope, that's too explicit. You can't say that out loud here. Uh, in a public forum, shut off that father's microphone, right? Uh, Well, if those school boards knew that if parents were dissatisfied, they could take their money and go somewhere else, uh, they would be much more receptive and responsive when families come in with concerns. Uh, So that's the direction that we need to go as a country.
0: And also if, if parents don't have the money to take them out of you know, the public school. Charter schools receive the federal money too and school board money also. And charter schools have more involvement of family and parents involved in actually running the school. Many of them require X amount of hours per week or per month for them to be physically involved in the school, whether you're serving lunches, whether you're assisting in the classroom, or even answering the telephones. You're there in the school, and you are surrounded in the environment that your child is surrounded in. You know what they're learning. You know what they're doing. You know what the the school is actually, how they're handling different situations. You're involved. And that, if you take your dollar out of the public school and move it over to the charter school where you're getting more bang for your buck, That sends a message to the school board. I mean, I went to one school board meeting, and I don't have kids, but I go. I get involved because it's my tax dollar. Every time I register my car or any other vehicle or I go to any business or services, my tax dollar funds the school district, and people don't realize that. Oh, why should I be involved in the school board? I don't have kids. B.S., you've got the dollar. You're spending it. You should be involved because that's your dollar going into that school district. But when I watched one school board, parent turned around, stood up, and said, tomorrow's the cutoff date for removing my child from school before you get a single dollar from the federal government. I removed them today. That money is going to the charter school and not to your public school. You're one student less, that money less. It makes a difference, doesn't it?
5: Absolutely, it makes a difference. And this is one of the reasons uh, that our measure, uh, our metrics look at transparency uh, because we believe that the best form of accountability is not top-down. It's not red tape coming from the state capitol or, God forbid, from Washington, D.C. It's when parents who are empowered to choose are able to see what's going on in the classroom and decide for themselves whether they want to choose to put their children in that environment. Or go somewhere else. Uh, We really need bottom-up accountability from parents and concerned citizens.
0: Absolutely. And contact your school board member. I mean, we had someone that was really, really bad. My girlfriend and I, we went out, got a petition. We had other people do the same thing, knocked door to door, had them put in as a write-in candidate and got them elected. And if you find someone running, you know, give them support, whether you're doing a sign wave, door knocking, even if you can't vote for them, get the word out there. If this person can replace a bad person on the school board, do it. I mean, we had our county GOP meeting uh, just, let's say, Friday, two days ago. And there were people running for the school board, passing out the materials, saying, well, we know that you're not within our district, but you know people who are. Get the word out. And that is how we would reform from the bottom up
5: exactly right well Uh, so if if, uh listeners want again the the website is heritage.org education report card we've got a ton of information on the site Uh, we've got the rankings of all 50 states we have uh you can do a state-by-state comparison uh, where listeners uh, feel that their own state is lacking in a particular area Uh, we spell out how they can improve and we even uh, link to model legislation uh and a whole bunch of statistics uh you know for example on spending uh and on return on investments uh south carolina actually does fairly well uh just above average you're you're in uh number 22 uh, but uh you're, you're one of the few states that actually has more teachers in the classroom than you have non-teaching staff so you've got 1.2 teachers for every non-teacher uh, most states in this country actually have more non-teachers at this point than they do have teachers. Uh, but lots of information like that you can find on our website, heritage.org slash education report card.
0: Oh, you, you at Heritage, you guys do a fantastic job. Um, look where your dollar is going. And I was surprised in this you uh, wrote about Ohio and Columbus the money that the federal government gave raised the teacher salary well above the national average to something like seventy-five thousand dollars. I mean, I don't mind paying the teacher a good salary, but really, I mean, what are you getting for that?
5: Well, it depends. Look, uh, Milton Friedman uh, always used to say that um, good teachers are underpaid and bad teachers are overpaid. Uh, we, you know, if we were to move to a system where <laughs> I mean, I mean, frankly, look, right now, uh, teachers are by and large in the public system paid based on, um, you know, breathing for an additional year uh, and, and not based on, you know, whether uh, – how well they're doing in the classroom. So teachers that are absolutely stellar and are really helping kids advance in their learning are not really getting paid extra for that. Uh, teachers that are coming in and just sort of checking out um, uh, are, are not uh, – Disincentivizes from continuing in that profession uh, so if we were to go toward a system where families there's more transparency families have more choices then you have a much stronger incentive for the system to make sure that you've got the absolute best teachers in the classroom and they should be paid accordingly whatever that means uh, in your area
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And, again, I can't reiterate how much you should be involved in knowing on what your school board is doing. I mean, I went to one of the meetings, and as I stood up to speak, two of the board members started snickering. And, oh, boy, uh, I'm half Italian. I mean, the top of my head just must have blown right off because I looked at the school superintendent, and I apologized to him. I said, I'm sorry, sir. We voted them in. This is what you have to work with. I apologize. We're going to correct the situation. We're voting them out. <laughs> I sat down and I got yeah. a wide applause. But you have to know who it is, what, they're, what they stand for. And if they're not standing for what's right, get them out. Even your school superintendent, we, we went through two bad ones before we... Finally got one really good one, and I can pick up the phone and I can call him Any person in the school in the county can pick up the phone, even if you don 't have a kid pick up the phone he 'll get back to you, and that 's what you want in your elected leaders and this is what it 's no longer a a, a a partisan issue. the schools and education is a bipartisan issue, and we 've got to get everyone involved. Am I correct or wrong?
5: Absolutely. We do have to get everyone involved and politicians are starting to wake up for this too. Uh, you know, uh, for a while now it's, it's been the Republicans that have been better on this issue. Uh, not great. Uh, you know, it depends on the state and, and there are a lot of states where there's a lot of Republicans that are anti-school choice and there are states where you've got Democrats. Uh, there are some Democrats who are pro-school choice, but this really should be bipartisan. Uh, just today, um, the democratic governor gubernatorial candidate in pennsylvania announced that he supports school choice uh the republican candidate already announced that he supports school choice you actually have a governor's race in a you know purplish state where both the republican and the democrat support school choice i think that is the wave of the future uh It is time to break the lock that that, uh, the teachers union has uh, on one of the parties and uh, move in a direction where, you know, politicians understand parents want education options, and I think that going forward, they are more and more going to be listening to those concerns and supporting school choice.
0: Well, Jason, God bless you for the hard work you do. I remember watching the kids get on the bus to go to the yeshiva when I was on patrol in uh, Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And those private schools and religious schools turn out a good product, and we've got to get back to that quality classical education and throw the wokeness right out with the with the bathwater. Boom, out the window. Couldn't agree more. God bless you for the hard work. (laughs) Okay, people can find you again at heritage.org. God bless. Take care. Jason Jason Bedrick. All right. Uh, That's all we got for today, Chris. We're down to our last few minutes. We'll be back here next week. Mia O'Day will be with us and Sam Faddis, as well as a new guest from Heritage that uh, Tom will send me. Uh, So we have a couple of openings coming up next week. Uh, And that's all I got for
3: today. I'll slide a few people in in the slots, open slots. I'll
0: I'll let you know this weekend. I will leave everyone then with our uh, song from our friend Gary Peccarella, Save America. So until then, I say good night and God bless.